This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.
You got it. Guns and roses. And welcome to the jungle, ladies and gentlemen. And it is Times Square, the gateway to the world. Where Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, has decided to host many of them who have become gangbangers, thugs, pickpockets, jostlers. They go in and out of stores, they shoplift, they've learned the American way, commit crime, and you won't do your time. You know, it took them about a year to observe all this by just hanging out in Times Square. If you walk between 7th Avenue and 8th Avenue to the Port Authority, which is dilapidated, uh, isn't even worthy of third world accommodations. Uh, you can see the buses coming in, bringing brand new illegal aliens who had crossed the border. Catholic charities paying for them to haul up to New York City and come into Times Square. Many of you, uh, for years, you saw that big Mickey D's, that big McDonald's, uh, right there on 42nd Street. Right? You love that, Broadway, Billy. You loved it. Going in there, it was the world's largest McDonald's. Never made a penny for Mickey D's, the corporation in Oak Brook, Illinois. They lost money on that. They never made money. Now you say, How could they not make money with all those tourists, people coming in and out? paying outrageous amounts of money for Big Mac fries and a Coke, right? It's like you got to take a reverse mortgage. Nope. They lost money. They wanted that location because of the huge signage along 42nd Street. So, of course, they serve product, but they did not make money at that location. So in the lockdown and pandemic, they were closed, padlocked. And then, all of a sudden, who came knocking on the door? Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan at the very beginning when he was, oh, rolling out the red carpet, remember? For the illegal aliens, right there in the Port Authority. He was showing up. In fact, he had a whole line of uh, members of his administration, a receiving line. They're giving them swag bags, putting them on buses, saying, yeah, 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 we're going to send you to the Milford Plaza. You got to find that Milford Plaza advertisement, Broadway Bill Lee. How many years did it play on the Superstation, Channel 9, WWOR-TV in Secaucus, right after the Joe Franklin show, right? Because, let's face it, that national show up on the Whirly Bird, and people would watch Joe Franklin, and you would think the Great White Way, Broadway, oh, when I come there, I'm going to plan my whole trip, and where do I want to stay when I come to the gateway of the World Times Square? Come on along, I'll take you. the Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail dinner and breakfast for $43 per person. Discover why we are the lullaby of Broadway. The Milford Plaza is the lullaby of Broadway. Now, how many of you, how many of you remember that advertisement that we played to the wee hours of the morning, right? How many of you? Uh, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But because of the lockdown and pandemic, the Milford Plaza went bankrupt and it reformed into New York Row. Same hotel, same location, $400 a night, mostly Venezuelans. 
and they won't even eat the food that we provide them in the morning. It's a bagel with a schmear. And remember what they said, Broadway Billy, they said, hey, we don't eat the stinking bagel and the schmear. We need culturally appropriate food. And Eric Adams, their host, bending over backward, whatever they want to get, said, look, we got to get culturally appropriate food for these people. What were they eating when they were in Venezuela? Mangoes, right? They'd be picking them right off a tree. Well, you know what? Let's just order it from Grubhub. What, what would you like, Miguel? I want mango uh, tomorrow. I want mafungo. I want con rosa bichuelas for dinner, beans and rice. And make sure you put a big chuleta on top, a pork chop. Absolutely, Miguel. And we are so happy to have you here as our guest. Everything is paid for. Everything. I mean, you don't have to pay for a damn thing. We'll put you up in the Milford Plaza. We put you up in the old Mickey D's right there between 7th and 8th on 42nd. We put you up in the Watson Hotel that used to be the old Holiday Inn off of 10th Avenue and 57th Street. We'll put you up in the Statford Arms. We'll put you up at a whole bunch of hotels in Midtown. And we'll put you up at the Roosevelt Hotel that we leased 1,000 rooms from the most corrupt government in the world, Pakistan, at an outrageous rate, $128 million for three years. Thank you, Eric Adams. What a schmuck. What a putz. And after a year of just hanging out and watching the American way, a lot of the Venezuelans looked at one another and said, hey, Hey, Jose, I guess what you do is you go into a Dwayne Reed and you don't pay. It's the American way because they're watching for a whole year, watching people go in and out, shoplift, and no consequences. Then they see African-American drug dealers in Times Square, some of them from Brooklyn, some of them from the Bronx, some of them from Newark, and they see, wow, they can deal all kinds of drugs openly and they don't get arrested. Man, we're living here 24 hours a day. There are more of us than them. We can muscle them out. We can form gangs. And that's exactly what they started to do. They learned the American way. And because they're right there on 42nd Street, they jump on that number seven train, the John Rockets Express. And, yeah, Broadway, Bill Lee, they go out to Jackson Heights, to Corona, Elmhurst. They get off at 82nd Street and Junction Boulevard. And they go downstairs underneath the number seven train, and they buy all kinds of fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi paperwork. They get social security numbers fake. They get all kinds of fake identity, fake passports. Where they get the money to buy it, I have no idea. But they sell it out there 24-7-365. And the cops do nothing to stop it. Because we're a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state where we treat illegal aliens better than Americans better than our own homeless people, most of whom are African-American, some of them emotionally disturbed, and some of them veterans. Hey, guess what? You get Ugats, you get Bupkis. But an illegal alien, they get the red carpet treatment. Oh, the poor illegal aliens. They came from so far away. They came through jungles. They had to deal with all kinds of marauders on the way. And now that they're here in New York City, they've learned crime pays. What's the latest? There is a pickpocketing detail that has hit the subways. You haven't heard this one yet. You're hearing it from yours truly, Curtis Lee, with first. Pickpocketing details involving young men and young women who are Venezuelans who were staying in the old Milford Plaza. We're paying $400 a night. 
They go into Times Square, the tunnels there. They take the shuttle over the Grand Central. They went on the platforms of the 4, 5, and 6, back in Times Square, the 1, 2, and 3. And they pickpocket and they jostle people. They snatch cell phones. They get arrested. They cut loose. They get arrested. They get cut loose. Let me explain to you how this works. Because nobody is willing to tell you how it works. The cops won't tell you. They're getting beaten up in Times Square. And there's no, absolutely no consequences at all for putting a boot to the back of the head of a cop for stealing a cop's cell phone. None. Absolutely none. Imagine you're illegal aliens. You were amazed if you did that in your country of origin. You did that in Senegal where I've been, in Dhaka. They beat the hell out of you with rattans, the cops. They'll find you. They'll drag you out of your hut. They'll take the bottom of your feet. They'll hit you so hard with those rattans, you won't be able to walk for about three months. And here in New York City, oh, the poor illegal aliens. They're so misunderstood. And they've learned if you are going to be out there as a sucker, they're going to take advantage of you. It's the American way. Hey, lawyers are going up to them. They say, hey, amigo, come in. Want to make some uh, pesos? Hey, yeah. All you got to do is walk out in the street and fake like you've just been hit by that bus. You go down for the count. You suck concrete. Hey, I'll be your lawyer. We'll get you a doctor, a chiropractor. I get a third. They get a third. You get a third. Hey, okay, amigo. Hey, it's the American way. Well, you learn all of that in a year. (laughs) And the biggest thing you learn. No matter what crime you commit, you ain't going to J-A-I-L. Let me explain to you how this works. So the cops go out there, they arrest the illegal aliens for pickpocketing. The call goes to one police plaza where Eddie Caban, the police commissioner, out of town Eddie Caban, you know, missing in action Eddie Caban is hiding. You know, it's the eagle's nest. Shh, don't let anybody know I'm here. I don't want to talk. I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm the police commissioner, but you never see me. I never talk. So he's hiding. All the brass are hiding in one police plaza. So the calls, you know where it goes? It doesn't go to the desk sergeant. It doesn't go to the the deputy inspector who's running the precinct. It goes to the legal department of one police plaza. Lawyer cops. They are the absolute worst. They won't even let the cops exhale or inhale. They're afraid of their own shadow. Oh, we'll be sued. Oh, my God, we'll be sued. Lawyer cops, they even wear shirts. Legal NYPD, they're jerks. I've seen them before. They're afraid of their own shadow. So the cops have to call legal at the NYPD, and they ask, what is their status? Well, you know, they're staying here in Times Square. They're migrants. Cut them loose. Cut them loose. Eric Adams, remember, he's their host. He invited them in. We're paying for all their accommodations. Cut them loose. They're untouchable. You hear me? And if you make an arrest, you'll be walking a beat out of the boardwalk at Coney Island in the middle of February, 3 o'clock in the morning, with no long johns on. You'll be freezing your tuchus off. And no vacation time. You got that? Aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, sir. The lawyers run the NYPD. The lawyers run. Not Eddie Caban, not Madri, not this guy Shell that you see, the big white guy right there. Hey, they should have been arrested. They should have been sent to Rikers Island. Die. What a bunch of jagoffs. 
Oh, my God. It's like the mopey and dopey. The three stooges. Uh, which way do they go? Which way do they We got to talk to the lawyers. What are the lawyers? The one police plaza say, don't touch them. They're untouchables. Cut them loose. And then teamed up with Alvin Bragg, friend of all criminals and enemies of anybody who takes a last stand. Oh, well, you got to cut them loose. You know, what did they do? Oh, beat up cops? Hey, look, uh, with Black Lives Matter, man, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Antifa, thumbs up. Alvin Bragg, yo, props. Yeah, you beat up cops. Turn them loose. Next stop, Hotel California. And you see, they'll head out to the Hotel California. Give me a little Hotel California here. We need a little Eagles action. Yeah. So these four mutts, these four skells are on their way on a Greyhound bus across the country. If they haven't jumped off because, you know, naturally we provided them with iPhones, smartphones. And they're watching these reports on what else? Telemundo and Univision, Channel 41, Channel 47, the national broadcast. And they're saying, look, they got the four of us on TV. We're wanted. Tell you what, we'll get off in Denver. They're schmucks, they're putts, they're liberals, progressives. They'll probably give us marijuana. They'll give us a place to stay. And nobody will know us in the Mile High City. No, no, no. No, we got to get to California. Yo, yo, Jose, we got to make it to California. Why? It's a sanctuary state where they pay for our hotel. And then if we get arrested there and they want to extradite us back to New York to face the charges of beating up the cops, gruesome, newsome, the governor will say no, you won't harm a hair on the head of these Venezuelan thugs. There are illegal aliens now. We will not extradite them back to New York over my dead body. And then you have Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb going, round them up, turn them over the ice, deport them all. Yeah, right. What did you grow a pair, lady? You didn't even want to deal with us. By the way, where the hell is the mayor? Hey, it's like crickets. It's like, hey, you would think Eric Adams would take the lead on this. This is a national, international. Hello. Hey, where are you, Eric? Hey, I thought you were the cop. You were the tough guy, right? Yeah, oh, oh, that's right. You don't work with ICE. Oh, that's right. You don't want them deported. Oh, no, no. You probably, oh, guess what City Hall said? If we find out. If they beat up those cops, they can't stay at the Milford Plaza anymore. <laughs> you wanted the law and order mayor, right? Oh, he's a cop. He doesn't defend the cops. He defends illegal aliens. He brought him here. He wanted him here. He said that Abbott was a racist. He said that Abbott was a madman. He said, I'll give you everything. Don't go to Chicago. Don't go to Philadelphia. Don't go to Denver. Come here. I'll give you everything. And wait, you're going to hear what else they're going to get now that's going to blow your freaking mind. And you, Republicans are out there. Yeah, some of the people I know, they're Eric Adams Republicans. Oh, but he's trying. You, you know, he's got a tough job. Yeah. Partying till the break of dawn at Consofrito up in the Bronx or at the Club Zero Bond. You know who's at the Club Zero Bond tonight? Broadway Billy? That Mama Luke Frank Morano. Yeah, he's at the Club Zero Bond. Boy, they must really have lowered the standards. How the hell would they let 
a guy who would like to be part of the old BQE crowd. They would never let him in Studio 54 right now, your BQE. Letting him in Club Zero Bond. No wonder why the mayor doesn't hang out there anymore. They're letting Mama Luke's in like Frank Morano. All they want is free food, free booze, and they won't even tip for valet parking. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then you got Alvin Bragg on uh, earlier on Friday night, G.I.A. I don't think they're on their way to California. Well, where are they, Alvin Bragg? You're the one who cut them loose. And then we find out that a, quote, nonprofit religious organization bought them the Greyhound bus tickets so that they could get out of town. How come they're not telling us what religious nonprofit? Let me let me play Karnak the Magnificent here, Broadway Billy, uh, through osmosis. Let me guess. Catholic Charities, Catholic Charities, Catholic Charities, Catholic Charities. The over-under point spread says the biggest rip-off nonprofit in the United States, Catholic Charities, a dollar for us, a dollar for the illegal aliens. Oh, did you get it out of the collection plate on Sundays at the Catholic Church? No. It comes from Joe Biden's federal government. They pay us to bring in the illegal aliens. They pay us to transport them. They pay us to nourish them. We give them $50 gift certificates from Tarjay Catholic Charities. Hey, is that the Catholic Church's money? No. No, it's federal taxpayers' money. You're kidding. And how did you get that? Well, the Biden administration gives a series of religious nonprofits money to take care of the illegal aliens, squire them in, make sure they're cool, calm, and collected, and they have all the amenities they can never expect, even from Mamacita back in their third world country of origin. Catholic Charities is a racket. It needs to be investigated. A RICO conspiracy charge because everybody knows the Catholic Church on a Sunday, you can roll a Brunswick bowling ball into the, ch- into the church through the pews of the English language mass and you'll barely hit anyone. But then with the Spanish language mass, packed to the rafters. And without people in church, there is no Catholic Church. They'll have to close those churches. So, hey... What do you think? The Catholic Church just says, Hey, viva libre, amigo, andale, andale. They're right in the front. It's Eric Adams with his $5,000 Swaggerman suits. There is uh, Catholic Charities. And there are a whole host of our local elected officials who would say, Oh, let's take care of the poor little migrants with their children. Their children. As they knock on your doors, they beg for money. They go into your backyard. They try the doors on your car to see if they're open because they'll hotwire them. They're driving cars. Where the hell do they get money for cars? They got these Vespers of motorbikes and e- e-bikes. Oh, my God. They get everything in a year's time. They've learned the American way. Complain, complain, slip and fall, sue, steal, rob, take whatever isn't yours because in America, in New York City, there are no consequences. Do it in Manhattan and Alvin Bragg is your best buddy. And God forbid anybody tries to hit you and prevent you from committing a crime Alvin Bragg will put them in the hoose cow and make sure 
that you have a little uh, petty cash on your way out because you've been so victimized. You ever think these folks are going to want to work? You ever think these folks are going to want to do the grunt work that they came here to do? How are we going to get them to go back to the farm when they've been to gay Paris? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Wait till you hear what Eric Adams is giving the illegal aliens as reward for organizing gangs, for pickpocketing, jostling, for going into stores and shoplifting like a lot of Americans, for beating the hell out of cops, and then getting false identification. They're getting a reward. And it ain't coming from Eric Adams. He's still buying his $5,000 customized suits. It's coming from all of you, the sucker taxpayers of New York City. And when I do my dime, I could do my time. And I won't hear one, anyone whine. City, we entertain you. So plan your weekend with music and us. Hi, cousins. Coming up this week on the Saturday Night Rock and Roll Party, this week's guest, Dave Davies of the Kinks. Fiskipo for Ramsey Mazda Sundays with Sinatra. This Sunday, we're celebrating Black History Month with all the great African-American artists that performed with Mr. Francis Albert Sinatra. 1964 on the Finney Madunio Show. All the great hits of the 60s and more. Plus, in the vinyl vault, we honor the day the music died. Coming up on Saturday Nights with Tony Orlando. Tony presents the most recognizable voices in music. Ends on Saturday, Sunday, WABC. This is 77 WABC Newsroom Extra. 49er and Chief fans still hunting for tickets to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We're going to have to shout out thousands to get a seat inside Allegiant Stadium. They were down like 6,500. If, if it's that price, I'm going in. If I'm going that far, I'm going to go in. Tickets on TickPick start in the $8,000 range. On StubHub, the cheapest tickets start around 7000 bucks, and those are in the nosebleeds. 49ers reporter Matt Miyoko believes this game could end up being one of the best in Super Bowl history. This is a star-studded team that the 49ers will be facing. The 49ers are also laden with superstar power, all pros, Pro Bowl players, guys all over the field who are big-time players. So it really should be a great matchup. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes seeking his third title in five years to continue a dynasty that started by beating the 49ers in the 2020 Super Bowl. Noah Layton, ABC News. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Here's Curtis Lewa. Amigos, come to America before they seal the border. Come to Nueva York. 
You get to steal, pickpocket, rob, jostle, shoplift, fall down in front of a car, fake it. They give you a third of the action, the lawyers. It's the American way. And even if you've committed crime, they don't kick you out of your hotel room, $400 a night. There's no curfew, no metal detectors, no wands. They don't search you. They never search your room or check to see if you got weapons, uh, uh, stuck underneath your mattress. No, they don't patch you down. Nothing. They don't check to see if you got any weed or drugs or booze like they do in all other shelters for Americans. Everything free. Everything free. in Alvin Bragland. Vaya, Alvin Bragg. Yo sin ti me siento bien. Vaya, Eric Adams. Vaya, Papa Chulo, Joe Biden. Amigo. Papa Chulo, Joe Biden. You're our daddy. You're our daddy. Plaza, $400 a night. I ain't gonna eat your stinking bagel with a schmear. It's not culturally appropriate. I want my freaking mango. I want my fungo. I want conarras of trailers with a fat chuleta on top. Yes, balls. Yeah, yeah, Eric Yes, balls. Uh, we'll, we'll grow up it to you. Because I ain't paying for it. I got to pay for my $5,000 customized suits. The sucker taxpayers are going to pay for it. You think they say thank you to us? They look at us like suckers. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Papa Chulo, Joe Biden, Maya. Corn Pop was a bad dude. You want to see bad hombres? Don't mess with us Venezuelans, huh? You think MS-13 was bad? Yo, we're the Cholos. We're the Vatos. Whose streets? Our streets. Whose streets? Our streets. F-U-N-Y-P-D. We'll kick your butt. We'll take your radio. Ain't nothing gonna happen to us. Nothing. We're untouchables because we're illegal aliens. Ice, Lemigre, immigration, you can't touch us because Eric Adams protects us. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. We the baddest of the bad, the Venezuelans. They're chilling on the platform at Grand Central, the four, five, and six chain pickpocketing passengers, snatching their cell phones, 
Likewise, they're doing it over in Times Square. What happened to that crime-fighting vehicle that Eric Adams said was going to solve our crime problem at the Times Square subway stations? The 400-pound K-5 robot developed to patrol the platforms to take pictures of everyone and use photo recognition technology and compare it to the file with Interpol? No. Compare it with the file to ICE? No. We don't, we don't share any information with Immigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service. What happened to that Robbie robot, the 400-pound K-5 robot that was at the Times Square station, always protected by two uniformed police officers, is now on the shelf. <laughs> we can build a better product in public safety. We want to add to our decrease in crime that you're seeing in this city. The robot is out of order. <laughs> Eric Adams' toys is going to replace cops, right? They can't fix what ails it. I guess one of the illegal aliens from the Milford Plaza graffitied it, vandalized it, and pushed it in front of an incoming train. By the way, assaults are up 50% in the subways. And I had a meeting this past week. Surprise, surprise, surprise. As Jim Neighbors would say, Goma Pyle. We are mounting our take back the subways campaign, the Guardian Angels, and our re-gift, because we're re-gifting all New Yorkers. Is that by February 13th, which will be our 45th anniversary, we're flooding into the subways. And we're patrolling them the way they should be patrolled. In the trains, going from the front, Broadway Bill B, back to the back, and staying on the train. Cops don't go on the trains. You never see them patrolling the trains like in the old days, right, Broadway Bill Lee? They stand there on the platforms. They got these stupid woolen sock caps on. Wear your freaking hats. And they're constantly staring in their phones, sexting and texting. Oh, you got a lot of work here. Take the phones away. That's why they have radios. Lock up your phone. When you go on duty, you'll got a freaking Motorola radio that we paid for. The subway system is all wired up so you can hear it on the radio. I don't want to see cops staring at their phones, sexting and texting. Oh, but we got to write everything down now. No, you don't. Yeah, no, you don't. And don't tell me you're doing police business. I know you're sexting and texting. Hey, you know, I'm fixing my Facebook profile. You see my Instagram here? Just like we need to take the cell phones away from the kids in school because they're not paying attention to the teachers. We need to take the cell phones away from the cops. What did they do before they had cell phones, right? What did they do? Oh, oh, maybe we should go back to when they had the nightstick and they had to hit they had to hit the sewer cap to get the attention of other cops to run there. Oh, that's right. They took away their nightsticks. Look at those cops getting stomped on. Where's the nightsticks? Oh, Bill de Blasio took them away. Eric Adams. Oh, he's a cop for 22 years. I got the back of the police. What cop? He was a house mouse in the precinct. He never patrolled. And when he was in the transit police Broadway, Bill Lee, he even said it. I was a computer programming. I was in the records division. I took all the paperwork and then turned it into floppy disks. Wow, that was a tough job, Eric. 
Police Commissioner would do us, uh, give us an observation of, uh, you know, an overview on how well it's doing, and are we going to expand it? Uh, so he will give a briefing on exactly what his thoughts are and if we're going to grow the program. Listen, uh, you know, many people know from my days in the, the state Senate, I believe in technology. You know, when you look at in the state Senate, uh, we looked at a cameras on guns for police officers as we, after we had some shootings. Uh, you can look throughout my career. I'm a tech geek. You know, I was a, a, a computer programmer as a transit police officer. There it is. She admitted it. He was a tech geek, Urkel, in the transit police. He said it. How come the media doesn't play that, right? It's his own words. I was a tech geek. I was Urkel. I was in the records division, and my job was to take all the paperwork from previous years and turn it into floppy disks. Wow, that was really tough duty. And then I was a very good test taker, even though I claimed I had dyslexia. How does a guy who have dyslexia ace all these tests and earn his white shirt, which meant he was an untouchable? Once you get a white shirt in the police department, oh, you could do anything. But the schmuck guys and gals who are, are patrolmen and patrol women, and they got to do the dirty work, the heavy lifting, oh, they, they get banged all the time, banged all the time. No, 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 no. I, I'm not letting you... I love, I love, I love our police commissioner. I love our mayor. Get out of here. It's Curtis Sliwa. I'm the street guy. I've seen it both ways. This city is out of control. You're going to let 12 guys kick your ass? Where was the backup? How come we're not giving the cops nightsticks? How come they didn't come out and in a wave? I mean, throw every Venezuelan guy hanging out there smoking weed, drinking cerveza up against the wall, search him and let him know, you do that again, we are going to be your worst nightmare. No, you can't touch them. They're, they're untouchables. They're illegal aliens. Again, let me explain to you. Nobody else is explaining this. When cops arrest illegal aliens, the call doesn't get made to the desk sergeant the deputy inspector in charge of the precinct, it goes to one police plaza where these guys come out. Hey, legal division, NYPD, they're not cops. They're afraid of their own shadow. <laughs> no, 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 you got to turn them loose. Eric Adams will be upset. Remember, he's their host. They're our guests. You got no. Downgrade the charges. Downgrade. Alvin Bragg, right, right? We're going to downgrade the charges. Gang assault. No, 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 no. It's a simple bump. You know, the cops tripped over these guys. They were trying to help them up. And they ended up slipping and, you know, putting their boots to the back of their head. Oh, my God. What a disgrace. So I had to get the Guardian Angels the other night. Some of you may have seen us at the start of the Hannity show. And we went through that area, and we were eye-fornicating a mad dog in those Venezuelans, a lot of them, right? You know, they only speak Spanish. I have a lot of Spanish-speaking guardian angels who were telling them in a language that they understand, you cross that line, and we, forget the NYPD, you got that Broadway beauty? We, the guardian angels, will kick your ass. And then when they lock us up, guess what? They're going to cut us loose, too, because nobody does any time in Manhattan in the land of Alvin Bragg. You got that, amigo? Yeah, yeah. 
Comprende, comprende. They got to speak to a language. It's called pain compliance. You know, with the nightstick, you know what cops used to be able to do, even when they were outnumbered. And many times you were outnumbered. Broadway Billy, you remember, they'd be getting out of those those triplexes and Times Square. Guys would be all cheated up. They'd be drinking Coke 45, Old English. Be getting three films for $5, you know, Kung Fu flicks, Vigilante flicks. Guys would be coming out, act, acting all out of control. And the cops, I remember this guy, Big Red. He used to be assigned at Times Square, a cop. He had a big red walking stick, like walking tall. He'd crack you in the head. He'd give you a wooden shampoo. Then he'd knock you in the kneecaps, knock you in the shin. Hey, Broadway Billy, did you ever nick your shin on a coffee table? You know how much that hurts? You imagine I take my, my, my wooden baton, my nightstick, and I crack you in your shins. You're going to be limping down the block. So even I, I won't even have to chase you. When the squad car comes up, hey, boys. You see some guys like Hopalong Cassidy limping, they'll pick them up. Because they ain't getting no more than a block before they before they end up sucking concrete. Old school ways. Nobody going to mess with the cops then. Now, oh, you poor and impoverished little thing. We got to help you. You came through those mosquito-infested jungles in order to get here. Get out of here. Get out. Nobody believe that crap. Oh, I don't believe that crap. They're wearing designer glove out there, North Face jackets. That's $600, $700 off the rack. Where they get money for that? Catholic Charities. Catholic Charities. A racket. A scam. Shame on them. Shame on Eric Adams, who invited them here. You know, when you have an unruly guest, what do you do, Broadway Billy? You kick them out of your house, right? You ban them. And so what? What did the Adams administration say? Imagine, Kathy Yoko had, had a bigger set than Eric Adams. He, she said, round them up and deport them. Deport this. You know, what did Eric Adams say? He goes, and if they keep doing this and we can prove that they did it, we're going to kick them out of our shelter. Oh, oh, my God. This is punk city when it comes to our officials. They've neutered our cops. They rendered them impotent. They're all complaining. A bunch of young thugs from Venezuela had their way with our NYPD. And they're on their way to California, the sanctuary state, to be protected by the governor. Gruesome, newsome. Let's go to Eddie, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Hey, Curtis, I think it was Kathy Lee different on that uh, show for the the hotel you were talking about originally. But um, I, no, no, you, hold, you, on, you, hold on, hold on, hold on. Kathy Lee Gifford, right? Milford Plaza. Married, Milford right, Plaza. married to Frank Gifford at that time, although he was cheating right. the hell out of her. Uh, oh, let me her? be very clear on this. I think you are mixing it up. With the cruise line that Kathy Lee Gifford used to do uh, the commercial for, uh, she was dancing oh. on the cruise line, not at the Milford Plaza. I'm pretty sure that it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So I, I want I right. want you I... to apologize apologize to Kathy Lee Gifford right now. To her. <laughs> yeah, because I'm she does commercials now I... for the fruits and vegetable that... thing. Now you know. <laughs> what does she do now? <laughs> you know, fruits and vegetables. Are you taking tablets? 
uh, you know, nature, oh. whatever the hell that is. Oh, yeah, it's got uh, it's got six bushels of broccoli in one pill. I don't know how they do that. Apologize to Kathy Lee Gifford, please. And never trust anybody with three names. Kathy Lee Gifford. Never trust anybody with three names. Yeah, yeah, well, you have a good producer right. to pull that up real quick. Oh, yeah, that's Broadway Billy, and you're out of here because you were wrong. <laughs> oh, remember Joe Franklin, Channel 9, WWOR? He loved everyone. Oh, Hitler, he was a great guy. Yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, I, I, I knew Joe Stalin, he was great. He never said anything negative about any. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, you know, hey, they had some redeeming factors. <laughs> and then you'd have that Milford Plaza commercial, like, uh, wraparound. Come on, Now, just think, back then they were little kids uh, weaning in the favelas uh, uh, north of Caracas up in the uh, hills. And they may, their mothers and fathers may have been watching the Spanish version of Joe Franklin. And they dreamed of coming to New York City and coming to the Milford Plaza. But they never realized that the bill would be paid for by we, the sucker taxpayers. Our numbers... One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of seventy seven WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. to make it to Cali Cali. It's a sanctuary state. Our Papa Chulo there grew some news from the governor. He always protects illegal aliens, even when they rape and shoot and kill in California. He claims they're untouchables. We gotta make it, homeboys, homies, to Cali Cali.
cholos vatos. If we can only make it to California. Even if New York City wants us extradited, the Governor Gruesome Newsome, our Papa Chulo there, will say no to extradition. These cholos, these vatos are ours. You can't touch them. Can you have noticed? Where did they want to go, Broadway Billy? They didn't want to go to Rhode Island, nearby, or Delaware. They want to go to California because they know that's the sanctuary state where if you're an illegal alien, you could be a gangbanger. You could rape, rob, steal, carjack, shoot, kill. And you are a protected class of people. You're untouchable. Look at the record of Gruesome Newsome, the governor there, pretty boy Newsome. When he was mayor of San Francisco, I'll never forget. I remember with the guardian angels of San Francisco patrolling down near the Fisherman's Wharf, a woman was shot and killed by an illegal alien. And Gruesome Newsome was actually thinking, we can't turn this enemy of society over to ICE, the Migre, Immigration and Naturalization Service. We can't do that. Because who knows what background this young man comes from, poor, impoverished, probably from colonias or favelas. We need to have reparative therapy where we sit down with him and we explain, that's not what you do in America. Oh, my God. They're on their way to Cali, Cali. They're sitting on the bus with our iPhones, our cell phones that we gave them, looking at Telemundo, looking at Univision, the national broadcast of news and saying, oh, my God, there's an all points bulletin for us. Do we jump off along the way? Do we jump off in Chicago? Hell no, it's too freaking cold in Chicago. Do we jump off in Iowa? No, 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 no. Denver, the mile-high city where everybody does puff, puff, pass, where it's a purple haze hanging over the city, and they already have 40,000 of our amigos there. We'll just blend in. And the mayor in Denver, he's like Eric Adams. He puts us up in hotels, gives us three squares, culturally appropriate food, health insurance, anything we want. Oh, my God, America's such a great country. You don't have to work. They give you welfare. You stay at home. They pay for everything. Everything in America is for free, even when you commit crime, even when you beat up the police. What a great place America is to be. Come on, amigos. Come over before they wise up and seal the ball. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. 77 WABC presents an in-depth look at what's going on right now. 
Here's Curtis Lewan. The walls are closing in on Eric Adams. Swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. So what does he always do as he's done in the past? Use his complexion as his protection and play the race card. But in order to do that, he has to come home. Brownsville, Brooklyn. So here we are in the place of my birth. People can say what they want, but you have a mayor from Brownsville. Never ran and never will. Problem with that is, I lived on Osborne and Hegeman for two years with a mezuzah on the door. That's when the Jewish folks lived in Brownsville. The other thing is that Eric Adams decided to join the Dave Chappelle's Haters Club. He thinks everybody is spending all their time just hating on him. That's why people are hating on me. Well, there's a lot of reasons that people are hating on you, Eric Adams. A, you brought the illegal aliens in. B, they're beating up our cops. You won't do nothing about Alvin Bragg, your friend, who cut loose these illegal aliens who are now on their way to California. That's why people are hating on me. See, you're saying you're for reparations for African Americans. You want to go back to a time where it's 40 acres in a mule. That's why people are hating on me. And D, you give us political vertical. One minute, oh my God, the migrants have destroyed the city. The next minute, no, 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 I found some money under the Castro convertible. We're okay. We're doing great. We're the best. Crime is down. Jobs are up. Once the sun goes down, he's going to party all over town. Listen to Curtis Lewa anytime, 77wabcradio.com and the 77wabc app. That's why people are hating on me. Now this one to the kids and to the girl with the angel face and the devil heart. You know, Sir Ramos and Chaka, the most new car players come to deal with the kids. Top up my own, hear this. I know this little girl, her name is Maxine. Her beauty's like a bunch of roses. If I ever tell you about Maxine, your owner say, I don't know what I know, but murder she wrote. Real, real. Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. I'm channel with him. I put the face on bank and rock top. Then they kind of live in town. Old Chaka, follow me. I put the face on bank and rock top. Then they kind of live in town. Old Chaka, say, girl, you're pretty. Your face ain't pretty, but your character dirty. Girl, you're just a act to flirty, flirty. You run to town.
State State Department has issued travel warnings to the following countries. Broadway, Billy, I know you were planning a vacation. Let me give you some of the places that you will be in danger of going to. And more than likely, their thugs are going to want to come here, too, like the Venezuelan thugs. Dateline, Jamaica. Trenchtown. The shower posse that I've had beef with uh, over in England, although uh, I've never quite uh, made it to Trenchtown. Or Montego Bay. Let me give you the update. The Prime Minister of Jamaica reacted sternly to the State Department warning Americans to stay away because it's dangerous. He said, look, you must come to Jamaica, Americans, to experience a people who have experienced hardship who have suffered but who have conquered, that has a deep history, that has more to offer to humanity than just sun, sea, and sand, those things must be the essence of our tourism. Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, and the Whalers, and lots of gods. (sighs) The root, my man. And you will be greeted by Rastafari, oh yes, Rastafari, with their Jiffy Pop hats on, who thought that Haile Selassie, the midget uh, leader of Ethiopia, was their god. You see, that's what happens, Broadway Billy, when you smoke too much marijuana. You think that a guy named Haile Selassie, who knew nothing about you, was your god. And so one day, Haile Selassie left Ethiopia, he took a plane to Kingston, he got onto the tarmac. All the Rastafari surrounded him and would say, Yo, you're a god. God, God. He got back on the plane and he got the hell out of there. He said, Man, that secondary smoke, it's kicking. Don't go to Jamaica, man. It's dangerous. All right. What's man? Because soon those gangbangers will be coming here. They, they know, hey, open border. Let me give you destination number two. Sorry, Bob Marley. Sorry, Peter Tosh and the Whalers. Violent crime has forced the State Department of the United States to say you should not go to the Bahamas. The Bahamas is involved in gang violence all over the Bahamas. And any of you who have ever been to the Bahamas... You know, let's see. We got here. You got. Well, I was there one time. You got Nassau and the Grand Bahamas, where Freeport is located. You ever been there, Broadway, Billy? I know you'd like to go Bahamas. Stay, stay in Bermuda, okay? Because you know them gang gangers are coming here across the border. Bahamas, don't go to the Bahamas. The United States State Department is saying it's dangerous there. But Prime Minister, I kid you not, his name, Philip Brave Davis, says, Be brave, American tourists. I don't think that this warning is going to prevent you from coming to the Bahamas. Want to bet? Want to bet? <laughs> Want to bet? Wait. Wait. We got others coming here. Haitians. Oh, yeah. They're already flooding across the border. And remember, we were going to put together a coalition to stop all the gangs that have taken over Port-au-Prince and have run the cops out and basically run the country now. Kenya was going to send a 1,000 troops, 
But guess what? Now they're saying, no, 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 not for chump change. There's got to be a lot more American dollars for us to go over there to get shot at with submachine guns. So Kenya has opted not to go as part of a multinational force to restore order in Cape Town. Now, Twinkle Toes, Pierre Trudeau Jr. in Ottawa said, yeah, well, we're going to do something. We're going to send medical aid. And the Haitian said, screw the medical aid. We need you to send troops. These gangs have taken over Port-au-Prince. And naturally, Papa Chulo Joe Biden has said, hey, just send us your uh, your refugees. We'll take them in, Haitians. You know, I'm not... I'm not like those Cubans down in uh, Florida who only want to take Cubans. I want to take in Haitians, too. So we're supposed to put together a multinational force. And some of the Haitians there are actually saying, Broadway Billy, maybe it's time to bring back the Tantan Makut, who used to be the secret police, the treacherous thugs of first Papa Doc Duvalier, and then his thug son, Baby Doc Duvalier, who raped the country. Huh? What do you think? What do you Okay, Haiti? No, I can't go to Haiti either. All right, hold on. There's one more place. Uh, no, two more places you can't go to. Ecuador, right? How many of you went for a med vacation? What I mean by that is you went to beautiful Ecuador because you were having work done. So whether you were having, um, let's say, a nip and a tuck, a facelift, you were having dental work, you are having medical procedures. Oh, yeah. And they are now saying that the United States uh, State Department is saying, do not go to Ecuador. No, 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 no. There's just too much violent crime. The gangs rule Ecuador. Just keep it right here in the United States. Just keep it right here. Do not go to Quito and do not go. I'm trying to remember what the, the hell the other city was. It'll come to me momentarily. But the gangs are ruling. They're taking hostages. Uh, they're not releasing them unless they get a lot of American dollars. So spare yourself. Do not come to Ecuador. Okay, so mark that down on your list. Boy, that, the list is gone. So all these gangbangers in Ecuador, where you think they're going to come? Right here, America. In fact, they're going to say, man, we better get there before the military cracks down on us. And then all of a sudden, we're not going to be able to start kidnapping people, killing, raping, robbing. Let's do what everybody else has done and go north to America. And then lastly, there's Colombia. Colombia is gripped with a problem, part of which is the fault of our own American men who go down to Colombia in Medellin, Cali, and Bogota, looking for love in all the wrong places, Broadway Billy, because of the hot Latinas there. So the hazard for male visitors to Colombia, it's called devil's breath. You know what devil's breath is? The ladies will hit you with a chemical cocktail, basically knockout drops, and then they rob you of everything you have, uh, they get your PIN numbers. Uh, they take everything out of your cell phone. They clean you out at the bank. Guys are like walking around going, totally, just totally vanquished. And the guys who are going there saying, this ain't right. Devil's breath took me out. What kind of music is that, man? Get rid of that. That's not Colombian music, man. Knock that off.
Okay, so you can't go to Columbia, Medellin, Cali, and Bogota because of devil's breath. And all these young ladies who are hanging out at bars, hanging out in parks, more than happy to give you love as you go to find love in all the wrong places. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You're stangad, you're knocked out. You got your pants down around your ankles. Your pockets have been picked. And all of a sudden, they have pictures of you and they're threatening to send it back to your old lady, to your wife, unless you come up with more dolares. Okay, so wait, wait. We got one more list because they're going to be coming here to America. Brazil. The girls of the girl of Iponima. Hey, you got to give me that song. In fact, it is the second most played song in the world. I'm wondering if anybody uh, knows what the first most played song in the history of music is. But the second most played song in the entire world is the girl of Iponima. Oh, here it is. You probably don't even know the song. How many times have you heard this in a lounge, right? Elevator music, right? Music. Oh, the girl of Iponima. Tall and tan and young and lovely, the girl from Iponima goes walking and when she passes, each one she passes goes when she... This better be a better version of that, Broadway Billy. That was a good one, man. You know, you had me going. The second most played song in the history of music. You think... Cousin Brucie, the greatest DJ of all time, knows that. Cousin Brucie. No. Do you think uh, Cousin Vinny Madunio, the Staten Island Prince, knows that? No. Hell no. You think uh, Tony Orlando without Dawn knows that? Hell no. You think Jersey Joe Piscopo doing the Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza Sunday night, 6 to 8. You think he knows that? Hell no. You think uh, that reminds me. <laughs> that reminds me, Golden. Bo Snurdy, who likes to play a lot of music, right? He's on from 7 to 10 coming up. Do you think that Bo Snurdy knows that... The Girl from Ipanema is the second most played song in the history of music? Of course not. But the question is, ladies and gentlemen, what is the first most played song in the history of music? And more importantly, why am I talking about Ipanema and Coco Cabana? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. I gave you the intro. Forget this. Uh, it's going to put me to sleep. This is Frank Morano-style music here. What the hell is wrong with you, Broadway Billy? People got to stay with me till the break of dawn. As much as I hate Barry Manilow, if he gets another facelift, his face is going to snap like an old rubber band. Remember, this Ipanema and this Coco Cabana. What the hell is this song? Get rid of it. It's putting people to sleep. Oh, my God. Vic Damone. I love Vic Damone. Benson or St. Finbars. And by the way, he liked uh, that jungle fever, as you know, Diana Carroll. Oh, God, here he is. Oh, Madonna, man. 
No, no, no. Well, what's wrong with him? Doesn't he know that the dance in Brazil is the bossa nova? The bossa nova. The bossa nova. Doesn't he know that? The bossa nova. Doesn't he know that? What the hell is going on here? So the State Department has put out advisories to all you degenerates who think you're going to pick up the girl from Iponema. That might well be a transgender if you've ever been down to Rio. Oh, my God. You better check real close. They probably got more transgenders down there, more drag queens than anywhere in the world. Just ask George Santos. Remember, he was trying to be Miss Rio de Janeiro for Carnival as a drag queen. He tried, he tried, he tried, but he just wasn't good enough. George. All right, so there are now travel advisories against going to Brazil, particularly Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo because of all the crime, and particularly the beaches of Iponema. Coco Cabana. All right, enough of that. You're bossing over. Now all of a sudden he's into Brazilian music. Yeah, no idea. It was the bossing over, right? And yet you're doing this. And then, of course, the last place is Lindsey Graham, who doesn't know a place that he doesn't want to go to war against or bomb. When the three amigos were out there, when it was John McCain alive and there was, of course, Joe Lieberman and Lindsey Graham. They traveled the world uh, trying to suggest that we ally with the enemies of America because we wanted to bomb places. Bomb Iran, bomb, 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 bomb Iraq, bomb Libya, bomb, 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 bomb. That, that was it. They just wanted to go to war. Lindsey Graham has again begun the drumbeat that we need to go to war and bomb Mexico. Now... If we think we got a lot of Mexicans uh, coming across the border now, Broadway Billy, can you imagine if we bombed any places in Mexico? They would flee north and claim they're war refugees. Puerto Vallarta? You want to bomb Puerto Vallarta or Playa del Carmen or Cancun or Tulum or Los Cabos? You know, a lot of expatriates living down there too, Lindsey Graham, you warmonger. So once again, he is renewed. Well, we're going to get the fentanyl labs up. Would you stop that already? You bomb Mexico and all those Mexicans, that's going to be their reason to come north because they're going to say they're war refugees, wartime refugees, and they're going to seek sanctuary. And guess what? A lot of them are going to get it. So these are all the places around the world that our State Department is suggesting you don't go to. And Americans are not going to listen to most of these advisories because... They love going to Tulum, Cancun, uh, Playa del Carmen, Puerto Vallarta, and Los Cabos. And not only as tourists, but as expatriates to live there because they can live on Social Security, a good life, in those compounds, those American compounds. And again, I ask a simple question. Could I have my girl of Ipanema again? You know, you're depriving me here, uh, Broadway, uh, Bill Lee. Really, the second most played song in the history of recorded music was The Girl of Ipanema. I'm asking you what 
was the number one most played song in the history of recorded music. Let's go if we can, uh, Broadway Bill Lee. Let's go to uh, Steve, who's calling from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hello, Curtis. I uh, talked to you a couple weeks ago. Hey, I got, I got a couple of things to say. First of all, I think the song might be It's a Small World by the Sherman Brothers. You're saying that is the most played song in the history of recorded music? Well, it's the most played song in the history of the thing was recorded music. I don't know. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong, but I'll give you a pass on that. What else do you have to say? Okay. I don't want you to cut me short. I don't want you to change the subject. Uh, You know, I was listening to you and uh, Sid the other day, and Sid was saying, you know, you're a lot like Trump. You know, you got uh, Adams and you got Cuomo, and I don't know what he's talking about, whatever. And I know you're not a Trumpster, and I questioned you on your Facebook. I don't know if you saw it or not. And I, I kind of put a joke on there, too. I said, get on the boat, because I know you don't like cruising. I was talking to you about cruises about a week ago. Uh, the boat is, uh, this is my question. I think a lot of fans would wonder. I don't know if he would do it. I don't, you know, I, I think I would be happy if he did it. But uh, Vice President, if Trump would ask you. Oh, first off, you know Donald Trump, who I've had a love-hate relationship with over 30 years, loving him sometimes, hating him other times. He would never do that. And by the way, uh, Steve, he he really, I know, but unless I uh, do a sex change and anatomically remove my three-piece set, he really does need a strong woman on the ticket. His route to victory is he's got to get a few more female votes. If he does that, he'll be... Re-elected president of the United States. I understand. I don't know how many fans you have, but I'm one of your big fans. I, I love listening to you. I don't agree with everything with you, um, but I like a lot you say. Well, thank you, uh, Steve. And again, I give the question out. Where's my Where is my girl from Ipanema? Right here, here it is. Broadway Billy. I don't know what the hell you're doing back there. This is the kind of song you would play at WCBS-FM, you know, the oldies during the week with your very dear friend, Joe Causey. Oh, yeah. All right, come on, come on. Guys, gals, yeah, don't you recognize the song? It's like Muzak. It's like in every elevator. It's like laid-back, chill-out music. Is that Victor Moan? Oh, yeah. Oh, Frankie. I, I don't want to hear Sinatra. That ain't, that's exclusive to Joe Piscopo on Sunday, 6 to 8. I want to, I want to hear the Victor Moan version. I know I disparaged him before. But you know it was Victor Moan who was offered the part uh, by Francis Ford Coppola in The Godfather to do basically the Frank Sinatra one. Remember? And he said, no, I, I, I do not want to upset my very dear friend, Frank Sinatra, so he turned it down. I mean, he would have sung the wedding song there. He would have been the man. But Victor Moan, yeah, he was into that jungle fever there with Diana Carroll. Oh, 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 Vic. Vic from Bensonhurst, St. Finbar's. Oh, what a set of pipes. Lafayette High School, we are here! I'm sorry I disparaged you, Vic. I really shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. Oh, no. Oh, but 
don't folks. like this song. <laughs> Sorry, Vic. You're putting everyone to sleep. It's like this is something that Frank's that uh, that the Mama Luke Frank Morano would play. By the way, you know where the Mama Luke Frank Morano is tonight? The Club Zero Bond. He's there with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, raising the roof. He's at the Club Zero Bond with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Boy, they've really gone low budget. Ain't nobody going to want to go to the Club Zero Bond. It's $10,000, a yearly membership. Would you want to be going to the Club Zero Bond if you see the Mameluke Frank Morano sitting there drinking a Velveeta cocktail and smoking one of those cheap cigars, chasing everybody away? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And again, a courtesy with booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. I throw uh, nickels around like manhole covers. Uh, we're too cheap to give you uh, a decent uh, booby prize. But if you do guess what is the most played song in the history of recorded music, you will get the Curtis Lee with booby prize exclusively here. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Warmonger Beat, wanting us to bomb, bomb, bomb Mexico, the fentanyl lab. And uh, what a schmuck, what a putz. What a run to the border Mexicans would make as a result of that, claiming they're wartime refugees now. They'd be pouring in. And by the way, Americans love Mexico to go on vacation. They love Mexico. So much so, you know who's going to Mexico for two exhibition games? Broadway Billy, they haven't been there since 1968. We better warn Steinbrenner Jr. and Randy Levine. Maybe they want to cancel the trip because, uh, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham, who used to fly in the Air Force, uh, I think used to fly bombers, uh, wants to bomb Mexico. So the Yankees are actually going to Mexico City to play two exhibition games against their championship team. Uh, two games. They haven't been there since 1968. Now, 
Baseball is not the number one sport in Mexico by no means. It's not. Of course, it's soccer. Fake, phony, fraudulent. Kickball, kickball, I hate. Goal, goal, goal. Although, when the Dallas Cowboys go down once a year to play in the Azteca Bowl, which seats 110,000, they pack it out. Oh, all the Mexicans there, Dallas Cowboy fans, they walk around there with Dallas Cowboy throwback jerseys, you know, spanning uh, spanning the globe of Dallas Cowboys. Uh, one of them with Hollywood Henderson, it was like a complete degenerate. But anyway, I digress. You know, when I was in Mexico organizing Guardian Angels, Mexico City, and Guadalajara, where we have them, you know, Broadway Bill Lee, I remember going back to the... Uh, the little uh, hotel room that I had, and I turned on the TV, wanted to see what was on Mexican TV. They had a baseball game. And you know who was playing for the Mexican team? A blast from the past from the New York Yankees. I remember used to rotate with Mel Hall in the outfield about 89 to 93. Hensley Mullins. Yeah, he was from Curacao. He's the first baseball player from Curacao, which is right off the coast of where else? Venezuela. It's all rock. Uh, there's almost nothing that grows on that island. But they learn to play baseball. You know, they speak Dutch. And guess what? They're pretty damn good. But Hensley Mullins was the first. And he played in the Mexican League in 2001. I saw him on TV. I said, wow, he's in the Mexican League. And it reminded me I had a flashback. One of my favorite Yankee third basemen of all time. Not Greg Nettles. No. I sided with Reggie Jackson, you know, in the Bronx Zoo. Reggie versus Greg Nettles. With Celerino Sanchez from Veracruz. That's where our Marines invaded. Remember years ago? He was the Mexican League's Triple Crown winner, 72-73. I loved him at third base. I think he hit one home run. Oh, God, he was a vacuum cleaner at third base. And then he went back to Mexico, and they brought in Greg Nettles. And now you know the rest of the story. So, hey, Lindsey Graham, you think maybe the Yankees can play two exhibition games in Mexico City before you decide to bomb the damn country? God, it's like we don't have enough problems with illegal aliens and all these uh, 18th Street gangbangers who are from Mexico. They'll all be flooding across the border. I'm a wartime refugee. I'm an asylum seeker. You're bombing us. Maranamai. Anyway, uh, let's go, if we can, to uh, Dave in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Greetings, Curtis. Yes, man. Yes, so, Holy Emmanuel Cha, Rastafari, right? God, yes, God. No, no, I I know you don't understand this because you're not deep into the culture, right? So... They created Selassie. They said it's the lineage of King David to be God, right? Now, hold on. Hold on, David. The new King David, if you've been listening to WABC, is Sid Rosenberg. He has dubbed himself the new King David. Yeah, I know. And and, and I want Broadway Bill E. to play You've Dropped a Bomb on Me for when you're talking about dropping bombs on Mexico. Oh, yeah. Dropped a bomb. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. That's so, a great so the selection. Whole thing is, the, the Gap Band, you dropped a bomb on me. Come on, that's Bill right, e. That's right. Dave, the, on, Rasta, Broadway, Bill e. the Rasta man had to cue you up. You're slow tonight, Broadway Billy. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so what happens is that the reason why a lot of Jamaicans, um, I think by Brother Carrington, started the Rasta movement to make Selassie God is because they wanted an answer to white Jesus, who looks like a Palestinian. On, on, he, he looks like a Palestinian. Uh, who looks like uh, the, the the painter, his uncle. Wait a second, who is that? You got me confused. You've been smoking no, a little no, no, bit no. too it's, much I'm herb, man. I'm a, yeah, I know. It's, I know it's too early in the morning, but the, I can't remember the guy's name. The, the famous painter. Oh, right? you mean Michelangelo from Florence? Michelangelo's yeah. uncle, right? Yeah. And then that's White Jesus, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, you got me now, Dave. Good. I'm on a roll. Yeah. So, so what it is? They created an answer because guess what? If your God looks at a different color, right? And my and my if my God is black, I'll at least have a chance to say, well, then I have something to look forward to. But if my God, as a black man, is a white Jesus, then white people will have power over me ah, for eternity. Ah, you see what I'm saying? Yes. yes. That's, how, that's how it came about. All right. But remember, he gets off the plane from Ethiopia. Yes. He's on the tarmac. Yeah, no, he came out to the doors in 1966. Right. And he he's came like, out, and there was a ton of Rastas singing, Cha, Rastafari, right? Right. And, and he, he was frightened. Right. So he went back into the plane, but the plane <laughs> did not leave. He came out to the plane. I know that part. I know it sounds funny and all that. He came out to the plane, and he went around touring the island. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, I thought he got on the plane and fact. flew back that's, to Ethiopia. He didn't, fl- he didn't fly back right away. He came out to the plane, right? And then they went on a tour, and they went to the national stadium, and they did all of that. And when he he, he, train, was, he was stunned, though, that the roster yes, he was. He was. Wouldn't you be, Curtis? I mean, think about it. If people adore... adore uh, Curtis Sliwa as the head of the guardian angels, right? Yes. And then they had him as your God. And you came out of the plane, wherever it is, right? In Italy or wherever. Wouldn't you feel intimidated? Well, you got me there because <laughs> when I was in Brixton in London, you got a, quite right. a few rosters there. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. And they, Birmingham as well. Right. Okay. They did not treat me as if I was the second coming of Jesus, that's for sure. Uh, they were they don't, and I, I understand you, Curtis. I do. Right? You do a good radio program. You keep the people engaged and so forth. And I truly believe eventually maybe there will be a statue of you somewhere in New York City to honor you for the guardian angels. How about that? I like that, Dave, but you got to do me a favor. I'm not kissing up to you, by the way. No, no, I know. <laughs> I know, but uh, I've had beef with the shower posse. So. I know, I know. Well, look, it, it, look, the shower posse existed because of the system. If the people were being paid properly in Jamaica and other parts of the world, I don't think there will be need for any gangs. So you think, you think I'll be able to walk through the streets of Trenchtown and the shower posse yes, won't? They, they, will, they will, I think... If you tell the prime minister, I heard you quoting him earlier. That's why I called in. Yes. If you let them know that you're coming, they'll, they will take you around and show you what's right with Jamaica. And that, maybe that's a challenge. Maybe maybe we'll set that up. How about that? Yes, because I don't want to go to Montego Bay. I want to go to Trenchtown. You, you want to go to Trenchtown to see where Bob Marley was, you know, grew up. Bob right, with Marley. With Tosh and Bunny Whaler. That's right. right? I want to see it all. And there, there are Airbnbs down there, too. And they're, they're painting up King, downtown Kingston, and they're calling it Kingston Creative. And there's a lot of artwork over there now. 
But I That's want right. I want you to arrange a sit down with the general the of uh, the general of the shower posse because I got some beef with him for what happened with hey. me in Brixton, and then also you mentioned Birmingham. Absolutely, Basil Heath up in Birmingham. I had words with a few of them up there. So come on, Dave, you can win a Nobel and, and Peace Prize. And one more thing, one love, Bob Marley's music, that song. It's one of the top songs. I think it's the number one song rated by Time Magazine. But it's not the most played song in the history of recorded music. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Your arbitrary ratings are wrong, man. You're wrong. It's close. Oh, Take care, man. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, Dave has to win the Nobel Peace Prize. I've had beef with the shower posse there, Broadway Billy, not in Jamaica. In Brixton, uh, you know, I got s- stabbed in Wandsworth by some, uh, well, they were sort of wannabe Rastas. You know, they had baby dreads. They didn't have the full dreadlocks. And uh, then uh, up in Basel Heath in Birmingham, which uh, Dave referred to, and down in the bullpen area there. I, th- I need Dave to negotiate a truce with the shower posse because every time I hear about the shower posse, they want to do me in. So, Dave, I know you're listening out there and all the Rasta Farai must make the peace between me and the top generals of the shower posse uh, so I can go to Trenchtown. Dave says it's a possibility, Broadway Billy, but I'm a little jaundiced. I mean, they stabbed me in Wandsworth at a council estate. You know, I had to pick them out of a lineup in Brixton, and they shaved their dreadlocks, although they were baby dreads. So they all had bald heads. They looked like onyx with the guns in the air like you just don't care. I picked them out. And I went to the old Bailey. This is the way the criminal court is there in London, the old style. The judge had the powdered wigs. The barristers, they do nothing. It's not like here in America where the lawyer does everything. And it's the judge who does the inquisition of everybody. And all the thugs from Brixton and Wandsworth, they were sitting up there in the gallery like little church mice, like little agnoics, little angels. And then when I got out, they were looking at me like, we get a chance, man. You come to the fridge. We'll stab you again and again and again. Oh, I said, the fridge. Oh, that's the top nightclub in Brixton, right? That's right. You come and we'll stab you again and again and again. Why is it whenever I go anywhere, Broadway, Billy, I don't make friends. I make enemies. <laughs> Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
notice that song request by Dave the Rastaman in the Bronx could well be the music that was playing in the B-1 bombers when they were dropping their payloads over the uh, surrogates for the Ayatollahs of Iran in their base camps throughout Iraq and Syria. Wouldn't that be interesting if while they were dropping their payload, this song was playing? Entertainment is what we do here on the weekends at WABC. And I compete with uh, Vinny Madunio and the greatest DJ of all time, Cousin Brucie. And Tony Orlando without Dawn and Joe Piscopo. Yeah, it's not just all talk, political talk. I barely do that. It's theater of the mind. And I take you to the break of dawn, and nobody better go to sleep on me. Nobody better go to sleep on me. This is, oh, the Gap Man, yeah! By the way, I was thinking back in my mind, I'm saying, you know, there was a time that American baseball players actually jumped down to Mexico to play there. And they were banned from uh, American baseball for a while. I'm thinking of a man who came out of Niagara Falls, the American side, the worst side. You ever been to the Canadian side of the Niagara Falls paradise? The American side, a dust bowl. Nothing there except a freaking casino that's worthless. And even the falls on the Canadian side are better than the American side. You know who came out of Niagara Falls? The great Sal Magley. That's right, Sal, the barber, Magley, who when he first started pitching wasn't all that good, went down to Mexico and he, hey, I don't need no stinking badge. And he got all grizzly and grew a little bit of a growth and a beard. And when he came back, he was like Don Drysdale, man. He would he would shave your chin. Everything he threw was inside, right under your chin. That's why they call him Sal the Barber Magley. He played with the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Giants, the Yankees. This guy was great. But he spent time down in Mexico. And I forget who the baseball commission was saying to any jumpers who went down to Mexico, like jumping beans, Mexican jumping beans. You can stay down there, you're banned from American League Baseball, National League Baseball. But he eventually came back, like so many of those expats. By the way, who's the expat who's living down there who might have become president of the United States as a third-party candidate in the aftermath of Ross Looney Kazuni Perot? He's living down there as an American expat. You know how many American expat patriots live down in Mexico? And Lindsey Graham wants to bomb Mexico, huh? God, I hate Lindsey Graham with a passion. That guy always wants to bomb somewhere. Hey, he probably wants to bomb the Fiji Islands, too. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, great musical selection by Rastaman Dave in the Bronx. And, you know, they chew on their root. You ever see that Broadway Bill Lee clean their teeth? They chew on their root. Keeps their teeth nice and clean. They, they don't have to, you know, they don't have to use that little, what are they, little rope? What, what do they call that damn thing? You know, they put it in your teeth. God, I would never do that. Never. 
Oh, by the way, let's go to Joe in Queens. Giuseppe, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, Curtis, it's, uh, I'm from the Bronx. Oh, the Bronx. Well, hey, you're not that far from Queens. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm retired NYPD. I got on 40 years ago. And when I got on, I was taught in the police academy, you don't get paid enough to fight fair. And you want to go home at night. So when we had our cherry Coca-Cola sticks, if you would have had two cops there wailing away on these guys, and one of those sticks broke, which that happened to me, half of it flew across the street once, now what do you have in your hand? Oh you have a spear. Exactly. The other half. So now you can use that to defend yourself, too. Now, those guys, two cops would have took those guys down. Now, let, me, let me ask you, Joe, because I got tooled up a few times. Uh, where did you keep the truncheons, the blackjacks? Come on, be honest, Joe. <laughs> you mean the day, Billy? Yes. Come no, on. I know, the black, the slapper. You kept it in your back pocket. Of course. And that, that could always be useful. I got hit with a few blackjacks because, you know, it's lead. And, man, right. you feel it for months. Months you well, feel it. The, the, the reason why we went to the slappers was because the blackjack, the shape of the blackjack with the spring in it can put a hole in a person's skull so and kill them. The slapper is like, a, you know, it's wider, so it's not going to do that, but it's going to tune you up good. Boy, you are a real but, uh, you are a real aficionado. <laughs> Comes to slappers, <laughs> blackjacks. Oh man! I was having a flashback when you were talking to the Rasty Man. That's right. And we used to have the pepper pot, and they used to carry over there. They would put put in the small of their back with a piece of wire from the top of the the dreadlock down to the small of their back, a small pistol hanging on a piece of wire, hiding in the dreadlocks. And it got pulled on a guy I was working with one night, <clears throat> pulled the trigger, misfire. Who lets the guy out of jail instead of, attempt, instead of attempted murder? He lets him out on an assault. Let him loose Bruce. Oh, wow, the predecessor to Alvin Bragg, the turnabout Bruce judge whose son now is the corrupt Democratic County leader, Keith Wright. Where is he? He is the uh, Manhattan County Democratic leader. Keith Wright is his son. Bruce Wright was the guy, turn him loose, Bruce. And just like father, just like son. Wow, yeah, the fruit don't fall far, brother. Yeah, in fact, uh, you could go to uh, then Judge Bruce Wright's house at 3 o'clock in the morning. He didn't mind getting up and writing out a release for criminals, uh, for defense attorneys who were yeah. there who were there basically if, if if he knew that somebody had fought a cop he'd sign their yep. release papers yep and and the mark was on the on the bullet from the hammer it just it just misfired it hit it the wrong way let him out i'm telling you what a difference joe cops uh with the nightstick the nightstick, basically, when they took it out, everybody knows, okay, they mean business, back up, back up, exactly. crowd control. Now, look at those guys. They're wrestling with these guys. They don't have a nightstick anymore to give them a wooden shampoo. 
It's terrible. Disgrace. Do you remember? We're almost the same age. You're, you're a couple of years older than me. You remember when we were kids, what the cops used to carry? Cut down axe handles. That's true. That's true. And you knew they weren't playing. No, but you see what they used to do, the 69th Precinct out in Canarsie, which was uh, Foster Avenue and Rockaway Parkway. If you were trying to be a tough guy as a young guy, they'd say, hey, come here. They'd take you for a ride. They'd take your sneakers off, and they'd say, okay, yep. you can go home. They'd say, well, where's my, where's my sneakers? Well, you can go home in your socks. And you're walking through the streets, and everyone would know that the cops got you, and you weren't as tough as you pretended to be. That's right. The, t- the sneakers would go over a fence into a lot, and you tell them, get out of here. And that, that was a disgrace, walking barefoot like that. Oh, and the but, other thing, because uh, you always had these wannabe tough guys growing up. They get uh, they get busted. They go to the precinct. They'd be talking smack to the desk sergeant, talking smack yep. to the arresting officer. So they'd be put in a cell. Then another cop would come in, having taken off his gun belt, and say, oh, you're a tough guy? Let's do it. You, me, one-on-one right here. Absolutely. Oh, where's, where's mommy? Go with my mommy. Oh. Yep. I, I was in uh, in uh, the Webster houses with, um, uh, which one was it? One of the Getz boys. We were coming down from a... Coming down from a job, or we were going up, I forget. But what happened, I think it was Ramsier. He was so scared, there was like five of us in the elevator with him. He drops a gun down on the floor of the elevator. The pile on he got, man. He wasn't happy after that. No, James Ramsour, one of the four that Bernard gets shot on that number two train. And remember, he had also taken a woman up to the rooftop, a pregnant yes. black woman, took the gun, stuck it in her her private part, and ripped her up, which he had to get like 128 stitches. This guy that. was a monster. A he was. Monster. I had candy. I had candy in my cells, and oh. his mother called, and she said, she said, I know my son is a piece of shit just like that. She says, but I'm still... Yep. No, no. There was uh, Troy Canty, Barry Allen, and uh, Daryl Cabey. Daryl Cabey was the guy on the ground who had been shot, and then Bernard Getz looked at him. You don't look so bad. Boom. Capped another shot in him. Boy, those were bad hombres, but especially as police officer Joe, like Joe Bolton, remember, on WPIX, who really knew how to twirl a nightstick. James Ramsour was evil. The worst of the worst. And he said, but I'm a victim of Bernard Getz. No, you're not. Check this out. On the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. 77 WABC presents an in-depth look at what's going on right now. 
Here's Curtis Lewa. The walls are closing in on Eric Adams. Swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. So what does he always do as he's done in the past? Use his complexion as his protection and play the race card. But in order to do that, he has to come home. Brownsville, Brooklyn. So here we are in the place of my birth. People can say what they want, but you have a mayor from Brownsville. Never ran. And never will. Problem with that is, I lived on Osborne and Hegeman for two years with a mezuzah on the door. That's when the Jewish folks lived in Brownsville. The other thing is that Eric Adams decided to join the Dave Chappelle's Haters Club. He thinks everybody is spending all their time just hating on him. That's why people are hating on me. Well, there's a lot of reasons that people are hating on you, Eric Adams. A, you brought the illegal aliens in. B, they're beating up our cops. You won't do nothing about Alvin Bragg and friend who cut loose these illegal aliens who are now on their way to California. That's why people are hating on me. See, you're saying you're for reparations for African Americans. You want to go back to a time where it's 40 acres in a mule. That's why people are hating on me. And D, you give us political vertical. One minute, oh my God, the migrants have destroyed the city. The next minute, no, 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 I found some money under the Castro convertible. We're okay. We're doing great. We're the best. Crime is down. Jobs are up. Once the sun goes down, he's going to party all over town. Listen to Curtis Lewa anytime, 77wabcradio.com and the 77wabc app. going to sleep on me, Broadway Bill Lee. Nobody. Remember when we first saw this song being performed by James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother, number one. Rocky Four. Remember, he was strutting his stuff up on the ring in the red, white, and blue uniform of James Brown, who was a card-carrying Republican. You know how I knew? I read that in Jet Magazine, Ebony Magazine. Oh, yeah. He loved Eisenhower. He loved Nixon. Tricky Dicky Nixon. He was a Republican. And he loved to flaunt the red, white, and blue. Get off that. Get off that. 
fighting the Russian, the Soviet fighter, Dolph Lundgren. And his, uh, his trainer was Rocky Stallone. You remember that? And Brigitte Nielsen was Dolph Lundgren's girlfriend. And remember how your very dear friend introduced it in Rocky IV, right? right? I'm sure he plays it over and over down there in his retirement uh, uh, condo in Fort Myers, right next to yours, Broadway, Bill Lee. Your shuffleboard partner, Warner Wolf. Oh, yeah, you and Warner Wolf, you lost to the Canadians. They got Canadian Maple Leaf flags now all along West Florida, East Florida, over in Hollywood, Hollandale. Yep, yep, the Canadians had taken over. Oh, there he was. One of the greatest performances of all time. I had nominated Warner Wolf as the uh, boxing announcer. For an Academy Award, I was shot down. But I want you to hear Warner Wolf in Rocky Four. Good evening, everyone. Along with Warner Wolf, I'm Stu Mahan, and we welcome you to a most unusual event. For the first time ever, West against East in professional sports. Thanks for being The Italian Stallion, Rocky Watch your low blows, kidney punches, rabbit punches. In case of a knockdown, you go to the corner I tell you to. And you stay there until I tell you to come out. Shake hands and have a good fight. <laughs> all right. The bad blood between these two can be felt all over the city. I can't get over the size of this Russian. Oh, you see, that was the memorable line. Warner Wolf, I can't get over the size of the Russian. And you remember what happened with Dolph Lundgren? He warded off a few of the jabs of Apollo Creed, and then he hit him with a Popeye Twister Soviet punch, and it sent Apollo Creed into the the hereafter life. Remember that? You remember that scene? Boom. And Brigitte Nielsen was smiling. Remember, Brigitte Nielsen married Rocky Balboa. Stallone. Then she met Gastonow or the Jets, remember? The Sack Exchange, number 99. Then she met, oh God, Flavor Flav. 
Oh, God, a public enemy with that clock around his neck, that crackhead. Remember, it was like, and they were having sex on TV on VH1. Oh, that, maybe that was the most disgusting TV program that I had ever seen. Flavor Flav, he's a crackhead. And there was Brigitte Nielsen. I wonder whatever happened to Brigitte Nielsen. Okay, so she was with Rocky Balboa, Stallone. Then she was with uh, Gastonow of the Jets. And then she was with Flavor Flav. Oh, my God. And everybody thought for a while, that, oh, Brigitte Nielsen, oh, oh, she's, oh, she's going to be the next Marilyn Monroe. Not. The next Blondie. Not. Come on, Broadway Billy. When you saw Flavor Flav in the sack with her in VH1, right? I mean, that turned everybody's stomach. God, I hate that guy. And by the way, you know why the Detroit Lions lost to the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs? Because Flavor Flav showed up in Detroit Lions garb. That was like a curse against the Lions. Oh, I hate that guy so much. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And remember, uh, this goes before, this is like back to uh, Rocky 1 or 2 when Apollo Creed is looking for an opponent. I think it was Rocky 1. With the Don King lookalike. Remember, he was uh, Don King was his manager. They were looking for the great white dope. I mean, the great white hope. And they came upon Rocky Balboa. The Italian Stallion. Hit it, Broadway Bill. Not a ranked contender. What this fight is going to need is a novelty. This is the land of opportunity, right? So Apollo Creed on January 1st gives a local underdog fighter an opportunity. A snow white underdog, and I'm going to put his face on this poster with me. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm sentimental. Apollo, I like it. It's very American. No, Jurgens. It's very smart. Oh, that was so good, right? They were looking for the great white dope. You know the Stallone story. Stallone wrote it. And uh, they wanted to buy the script from him and the rights, but they didn't want to use him as Rocky Balboa. Uh, Stallone had written it based on the Bayonne bleeder, Chuck Webner. Great heavyweight, great. When he had that fight with Muhammad Ali, nobody gave him a chance. He almost knocked out Muhammad Ali. Chuck Webner. I think he fought in Cleveland against uh, Ali. I'm not sure. In fact, uh, to his credit, the Mameluke Frank Morano, some of his best interviews have been with the uh, Bayonne bleeder, Chuck Webner. Have they built that statue yet to Chuck Webner in Bayonne, the gateway to the world? I need to know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Stallone insists no. It's like Chaz Palminteri, Bronx Tale, insisted no, I'm going to play the role. Stallone, I'm going to play the role, or I'm not giving you the rights to the script. And uh, eventually John Alvelson became the director and you know the rest of that story. Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I, I mean, there were so many Rockies. It was a franchise. And then uh, the side story is 
I met John Avelson uh, as they were doing Rocky, uh, I think it was Rocky 6, not quite sure. It was near Kensington in Somerset, under the Frankfurt uh, line, the elevated subway, Scepter. They were doing a film, uh, the film there. Uh, had a long conversation with uh, Stallone. Uh, we took pictures. And uh, Avelson wanted to do the Guardian Angel story. Yes. Oh, I want to do the Guardian Angel story. Then we didn't talk for a while. Then he goes out to the Philippines and they're filming Karate Kid 1. And then they film Karate Kid 2. While he was away filming those, unbeknownst to John Avelson, his son joined the Guardian Angels. This guy was a big graffiti vandal. I mean, huge. And he joined the Guardian Angels. And his father comes home and he goes, hey, my son is actually acting normal now. What the hell? He says it's because of the Guardian Angels. So we had a meeting. He said, hey, I know I had said I was going to do the Guardian Angel movie. So we flew out to Hollywood, to Canon Films, Golan and Globus, the two Israeli guys. They were making all the films, the Chuck Norris films back then. All those, all those films you like, uh, Broadway, Bill Lee. Ours was the last deal they made. Next door, Chuck Norris was breaking up furniture in one of the brothers' uh, offices because his check bounced. And, I mean, he was breaking up the furniture. The other brother leaves our meeting, me and John Alvarez, runs in. I'll be right back. He comes back, and then he gives the news the Canon Films has gone bankrupt. <laughs> So no film got made. <laughs> I see this in my life, right? Right on the cusp. And then, that, sorry. Bankrupt. No more films. Canon films. I don't even know. It became Pathé something. I mean, all different. They just never got made. And John Appleson is no longer here in this plane. Obviously, uh, Stallone is still here. But Carl Webbers uh, has passed to the hereafter. Interesting thing, Abelson told me about Carl Webbers uh, when he auditioned for the part of Apollo Creed. He actually went up to Stallone. Now, remember, Stallone is the guy. He, he's, he wrote the film. He's, he's playing the lead role as uh, Rocky. And Apollo Creed comes up to Rocky and he says... You suck when it comes to acting. Now, can you imagine that? And apparently, Stallone liked that, that that constructive criticism. Most people with humongous egos, which Stallone has, like almost everybody in Hollywood, would have dismissed him. But I remember Avelson told me, no, man, that Carl Weathers, you know, former football player, played for the Oakland Raiders. They went on to win the playoffs in the Western Division, and then he left, and he went into Hollywood like uh, – like Jim Brown had done successfully. And remember the Hammer Man, Kansas City Chiefs. Hammer time before there was MC Hammer. Williams. That's right. I forget the first name. But anyway, the point being is, is that Stallone, instead of being turned off by uh, Weathers, who was auditioning for the role of Apollo Creed, actually said, to John Appleson, man, this would be the best guy. And boy, he really made that film. He really made that film. 
And then he repre- uh, he ended up, I think, in Rocky One, Rocky Two, Rocky Three, Rocky Four. That was the last one. Then Avelson told me for the sixth film in the Rocky series, Stallone had an idea that he would do flashbacks, you know, to all the previous battles that he had with Mr. T, with Dolph Lundgren. So he got permission from them to use the footage for their appearance in the early Rocky film so he could use that in Rocky VI. And actually, he paid them residuals. Mr. T signed on the bottom line. Uh, Dolph Lundgren agreed. But Weathers wanted an actual part in the movie, even though his character had died in Rocky IV. So John Avelson says, we killed you in the script. You're dead. You know, how are you going to come back? What are we going to channel you? What are you going to come back as a ghost? He says, no, I'm not giving you the rights to use any footage with me and Stallone in the previous movies, the previous four, unless you bring me back. So Avelson says he's sitting there with Stallone and saying, we really need that, man. You know, it's like, he said, but how do we bring him back? <laughs> so they're trying to figure out all kinds of ways. And then ultimately, Stallone and Avelson said, no, we're not going to use him for the flashbacks. Well, we can't. And so they used footage of a fighter who looked similar to Weathers, which pissed off Weathers. But then years later, Weathers and Stallone patched up their differences, and Weathers agreed to allow footage of him from previous films to be used throughout the rest of the Rocky trilogy Rocky 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, how many of them were as Apollo Creed? Yeah, I'll never forget Avelson telling me that song. He said, yeah, we said to him, how are we going to bring you back? You know, they do that in the soap operas and novellas all the time. They kill you off. How do they bring you back? It's like in The Sopranos. What was that big pussy, remember? They pushed him over, whatever they did to him, off the boat there, off the Jersey Shore. How are they going to bring him back? What, what, he... He comes back, you know. Uh, I'm telling you, as good as Sly Sylvester Stone was, Carl Weathers also made that film. I mean, the dynamic of Carl Weathers in there jamming, dancing, you know, the Muhammad Ali type in that ring was magnificent. And then there were other classic scenes that I loved when they were talking about how many people thought maybe that fight was fixed. There's still a lot of people out there that think he won. There's a lot of people out there accusing me of having a fight fixed, accusing me of being a fake and insulting my kids in school. That's why. You want to hear the truth? Yeah, I want to hear the truth. The truth is that last time he was damn lucky. Now he's all finished. I mean, he's been hanging around doing nothing for six months. And any trainer worth anything wouldn't have nothing to do with him. Now I say... Let's go after some new meat. Forget this bum. You think I beat him the last time? Do you? Hmm? You got the decision. Man, I won, but I didn't beat him. Mm. And then a sort of, um, what can we call it? Uh, a cathartic moment when Apollo Creed decides he's going to train. Stallone, remember? And he's like dogging him, dogging him because Stallone was like down in the dumps. I think that 
That was right well, with uh, Club and Lang, right? Club and Lang there, Mr. T. You got to get him. Got to get him. Listen, listen to him. Carl Weather no longer with us. Think about the fight. Think about the fight. Club and Lang's in here. He's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you. Okay, here he comes. Jab. He's jabbing. He's jabbing. He's trying to hurt you. You got to fight him. You got to move. I love that line. That's the way I lead my life. There is no tomorrow. Hey, let's face it. I walk out of this studio, some of my enemies pop. You know, just because Dave, the roster man from the Bronx, said, oh, he's going to keep the peace between me and the shower posse. Hey, you'll be out there, right, smoking their spliffs. Yeah, calling me a blood clod, a rude boy, and then pop, 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 pop. Right? Hey. I love that. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Come on, man. from uh, Southeast Queens. I will tell you, he's not from Bayshore, Long Island. But when you walk into Flushing Meadows Park, right off the number seven train, the John Rockets Express walking to the Unisphere in Flushing Meadow Park, 
You see a big statue with LL Cool J holding a boombox. But he's really not from Queens. He's from Bayshore. And uh, coming off the great movies of Sly Stallone in uh, Rocky as Rocky Balboa. And then, of course, De Niro in Raging Bull as uh, Jake LaMotta. Probably the worst boxing movie I ever, ever saw. And I've seen a few really bad ones. Was Grudge Match in 2013. Where they had a older De Niro in the ring with an older Stallone. And let me tell you something. It was the worst boxing match film of all times. I don't know if you saw that uh, Broadway Bill Lee uh, grudge match with a aging De Niro and an aging Stallone. It was the worst boxing movie of all time. I would have given them a George Foreman grill in there. I would have rather seen George Foreman grilling in that ring than watching that old De Niro fight old Stallone in the grudge match. Anybody who saw that should have demanded their money back. It was the worst. Let's go to the phones, and it's uh, Bob calling from the gateway to the world, Bayonne, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hi, Curtis. Yeah, they were going to, they made the statue, and they didn't know what to do with it. They were going to put it in Hudson County Park, which is in Bayonne, and the politicians didn't want it there, so they put them under the Bayonne Bridge. Well, and you know, Curtis, me and you got something in common. I was in Bellevue emergency room when they wheeled you by. You were dead. You had your beret on. I said to the three cops, two of them were sleeping. I said, you better wake your buddies up because you're going to have the mayor and anybody else coming through. And sure enough, at the time, I believe your wife was the first one through. Then Dinkins was sweating like he was wiping the sweat off his face. He came through. And a couple of dignitary policemen with their, you know, blue jackets, white shirts, caps came through. But you didn't look like you were going to make it. But Weapon is under, I believe he's under the Bayonne Bridge. They got a little league ball, ball field down there. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You mean, let's, let's deal with Chuck Weapner first, the Bayonne Bleeder, one of the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time. And what a great personality. You mean to tell me they did a statue to Bayonne's finest, Chuck Webner, and they stuck it under the Bayonne Bridge, which goes over the Arthur Kill, Kill Van Kill, to Staten Island? Right. And I believe it cost over $10,000, and they ran out of who was going to pay for it. They had to have a big uh, fundraiser just to get the statue made. I believe it's made out of bronze. And, uh, well, you know, should, uh, you, you know where it should be. Forget Bayonne because to, to put it underneath the Bayonne Bridge, come on. How, what low it's, budget? It's an insult. They, it really is. They should have it by the Museum Mile in Philadelphia. When you go up the steps, they have the uh, the statue of uh, Rocky Balboa, you know, at the museum. Right. They should have it right next to him because Stallone said that the entire script is based on Chuck Wepner, the Bayonne Bleeder. Right, and there was lawsuits all about that. Because Stallone was trying to say it had nothing to do with Wetner. 
And oh. then I guess they finally figured it out. There's no doubt. Know. There's no doubt that was the Chuck Webner story. Come on. Stone, please, yeah. please don't insult yeah. us. Yeah, you know, he was a liquor salesman, right? Yep. And, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah he, he sells the booze. There's no doubt about <laughs> it, man. He sells it. But yeah. let's go back to June 19th, 1992. So they're wailing me in. They scraped me off the asphalt. I had been shot okay. five times with hollow point bullets, bullets on the orders of John Gotti Sr. to John Gotti Jr. and the Gambino crime family, Frank to Mama Luke Morano's friends. And you saw me get wheeled in there and you thought I was dead. Yeah, Curtis. The only way I knew you, because it was the Red Beret, I saw your face. You know, it's like the movies. They had they had somebody, I don't know if it was a cop or ETM, on the bottom, standing on the stretcher as they were wheeling you to the emergency room to get to the operating room. They were actually standing on the gurney as they're pushing you through. Yeah. And I don't know if he was holding your stomach in or giving you C. I, I think he was holding your stomach in. I don't think he was giving you CPR. Yeah, no, no. They told me later he was holding my stomach in because, remember, the hollow point bullets, what they do is they shred you. They shred you. If they don't kill you, generally they debilitate you so that you're not going to walk. You're not going to be able to function. And a half inch over one of those bullets, I would have been paralyzed for life. Right. Well, Curtis, in a way, I don't want to say this, but you kind of deserved it. You remember the radio show? Every show was about the mafia, about this one and that one. I said, this guy's going to get whacked. Because <laughs> you were the only one telling the truth at the time about the mafia. Well, you know, as much as I was talking about it on Mob Talk every day when John Gotti Sr. was on trial for the last time before they sent him away to marry him, uh, the actual, you know, having gone to trial against John Gotti Jr. four times, the actual thing that triggered them off was my appearance on Nine Broadcast Plaza with Richard Bay, in which uh, they had an audience filled with Gotti guys uh, and gals from Howard Beach, and they were making the the mark of the slitting of your of your uh, neck, you know, from ear to yeah. ear. I didn't see that, Curtis, but just you talking about it, I said, this guy's got a death wish. Because who goes on the radio in New York City and did nothing but talk about the mafia, putting them down, naming names, no less. I said, this poor guy, he's going to get whacked. And thank God you made it through, Curtis, because I love you. I've been listening to you since the very early 90s. Yeah, all the big, all the big guys in uh, radio at that time: Stern, Imus, Bob Grant, the King of Talk Radio, uh, gambling. None of them would talk no. about. None of them would no, talk about no, the mob. None of them, absolutely. They were terrified. That's why I like listening to you. I was a wannabe mobster at sixteen, running numbers for a friend, so he wouldn't get locked up. Wow! And then, uh, did you have to do any time for that? No, no, I just, you know, the guy, he had the people watching him. I just had to walk two blocks with the papers and give it to somebody, so I got lucky. That was like a father to me, so how could I say no? See that? You're a lifetime listener to WABC. Yes, sir. And you happen to, now, what were you in Bellevue in the emergency ward as they were wheeling me in? Did you have your own injury? Believe it or not, I had a bad knee, and they threw me into the van. I said, come on, guys. I told you that I'm wearing a full leg brace. 
and they just pushed me into the van, and I said, oh, I wanted to get checked out. There was a line of cars. They were doing a, a hooker stop. They were looking for people <laughs> lining up near the post office over there. I forget what street it's on. And they were looking for hookers, and I happened to drop off a friend. I didn't know where I was in Manhattan at the time. And I got stuck in this traffic, and I guess they didn't like the way I looked. I might have been, I was under the influence. I was on a lot of Oxycontin Percocets back then. Mm. So they basically <laughs> pinched you and brought you to the emergency room. Yeah, they put me in a cell by myself, and then they sent the guy, an old man, he started flooding in the cell. I started screaming, thank God, they put me in another cell. And then my brother bailed me out. I had to go to court. They said, good news and bad news. I said, what's that? Good news, you can go to court. Bad news, you got to be chained to a guy with AIDS. That's when AIDS was big back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't, they had no idea. Uh, what right. could uh, cure it or what could prevent it from ravaging. Although, obviously, it couldn't spread unless you had sex with the guy in the cell, so you were okay, Bob. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I was in a bad car accident. I was walking, somebody hit me, and I had over 30 pints of blood. I said, if I didn't get AIDS back then, back in 89, I'm not going to worry about it, you know, being that's right. to a guy just uh, walking. Uh, see, a lot of people don't realize that transfusions, blood transfusions, were a way you could get AIDS. They yeah. said that that's how um, uh, the great tennis star, um, Arthur, uh, why am I forgetting his last name? Ash. Arthur Ash, right. right. They claim that's how he got the AIDS. I don't know if that's true. But there were there were people through blood transfusions because they weren't testing blood back then. And I had right. a lot of transfusions over the I'm years. I'm sure you did, Curtis, because you were out of it. Right. I, I, I'm sorry I don't remember who you were married to. Were you married to Nancy at the time and split and get, be married? No, I should have been married to Nancy. And I wouldn't have had all the problems that I had the rest of my <laughs> life. I, I was married to Lisa at the time. Lisa, Lisa. Right. Because I told the cop, I said, you better wake up your buddies. They were sleeping in the emergency room, Curtis. Of course. The cops and it was like, they didn't believe me. I said, wait. I said, that was Curtis Lee. He had the red beret on. They Somehow that beret stayed on you because that's the only way I recognized you. It's, her, it's, her, it's hermetically sealed to my head. <laughs> it never comes off. Even when I've been shot five times, uh, they had to eventually extricate it when they operated on me. But I will tell you this. It was a close call, Bob. It was a yes. close call. I I I can validate that, Curtis. I was the only one in there. They had me handcuffed to the gurney, and I'm you know I'm laughing because the cops are sleeping like it's nothing. I said, "This is Manhattan for you, I guess," because I was originally from Jersey City, and I said, "This really goes on in Manhattan, unbelievable." Yep. Yeah, and back then I was lucky that they had on the top uh, team uh, led by Doctor Leon Pactor. And his crew would always be at the ready at Bellevue. God forbid a police officer was shot in the line of duty. They would medevac uh, the police officer to Dr. Leon Pacta. He was the best with his crew. And uh, they saved my life. There's no doubt about it. I was bleed. I bled out really bad. Really oh, yeah, bad. So that was the guy. He was holding in your stomach then because I knew 
I said, it doesn't look like CPR. It looks like he's holding it in his stomach. Yep, that's what they were doing. They were doing because those uh, those hollow point bullets had shredded my inside. It wasn't until two years later that I actually got back on track. But see, Bob, even though you got clipped, you got a chance to see me getting wheeled into the ER, the ICU. And here it is years later uh, from 1992. We're talking about, gee, 30 years later, you're talking about it on the radio. And look at this, Curtis. Back in 1989, they gave me over 30 pints of blood and transfusion. I got hit by a car, and they took off, left me out in the street to die. Tunley Avenue in Jersey City. Wow. You know, that's like a highway. Yeah. Uh, well, look. Right across where Mike Tyson used to hang out. Yeah, yeah like, you, 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 you continue to listen here, Bob, and Bayonne, the gateway to the world. You see what they did to Chuck Webner's statue? How come Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, who's interviewed Chuck Webner, did an excellent job interviewing? How come he didn't make a big beef about that? I did not see Curtis next to the Gotties at my wedding. Really? You invited me and Nancy, and you put us right next to the Gotti clan. Curtis was dancing with his wife on the dance floor, and John Gotti Jr. came over to me, and he said to me, Hey, do you think Curtis would mind if I cut in with his wife? You're damn right I'd mind. There would have been a fight right there. Forget about Apollo Creed and the Italian stallion, uh, Rocky Balboa. We would have had it out right there. God, this guy, he's such a sycophantonian lackey of the Gaudis and the Gambinos, Frank Morano. It's time to make the donuts. And now... He's, ans- he's got to answer to me because he's had to be enrolled in the Curtis Lewa boot camp of talk radio because he's fallen from grace. It's madness. It's Earth madness. Place. Yep. A tough noogies. Curtis should stay out of taxis. Oh, you see? Can I hear that one again? Curtis should stay out of taxis. Again? Curtis should stay out of taxis. You know whose side he's on. Curtis should stay out of taxis. By the way, it's very pertinent to the news. You see that reticketing center down in the Lower East Side that the uh, illegal aliens are always uh, lined up around. The old St. Rita's Parish used to be a church of liberational theologists. I mean, socialists, communists, I mean, far left wing. Uh, and uh, that's where I ended up jumping out of the cab, diving out of the window of that cab. After Michael uh, Iannotti uh, had pumped me full of lead. By the way, that uh, that mutt that scale is out. He did his twenty years. He's out. You think you think uh, Broadway Billy? He's gone for some target practice. You know, if he gets another shot, they told him. They told him. Little Nick Nick Carraza when he he said, "You're my hit man. You're going to take out Sliwa and Canarsi." Him and JoJo Carrazzo, who was the uh, consigliere. To the Gambino crime family, they said, hey, Michael, don't try to shoot him in the head. That shouldn't be your first shot. He goes, you, what are you telling me? I'm your hitman. Are you a hitman, little Nick? Uh, hey, I'm your capo. Do as I tell you. Do not shoot him in the head. He's going to get away. He's going to figure out a way to get away. Hey, I'm the hitman here. I'll do it my way. So what do you think he did, Broadway Bill Lee? First shot at me was he tried a headshot, and I, he missed. 
Now, maybe it was my dexterous moves. No, I think he just missed. And that gave me some room to move. Now, if he had shot me in the stomach, if he had shot me in the leg, if he had shot me in the chest right in the center, the center mass, which he should have, boy, that would have slowed me down. I would have bled out. I don't know if I would have had the, the ability to jump out of that moving car, that moving cab. But, oh, Michael Leonardi. I'm a headhunter. I'm going to shoot him in the head. That first bullet went right through the back window. And he's out now. Somewhere he's out there. <laughs> Thought you could get me, huh? In the meantime, who was cheering him on? Frank the Mameluke Morano. Curtis should stay out of taxis. See? See what I mean? You see what I mean? 1-800-848-9222. Here's Curtis Lewa. thing of ours, the most intimate form of communication ever created, I say by Marconi, the Italian, some say Tesla, the Serbian radio. And Donna Summers, her uh, ode to radio definitely impacts all of us who love this thing of ours. I love it, and I know all of you love it. And notice the different kind of a show that I do from... uh, my other colleagues or other competitors. I don't interview guests. I will not interview guests. To me, that's the most boring form of radio because it's all prescripted. They know what they're going to say. You're never going to break them from their mantra. We had three callers uh, this morning. Broadway Billy, you will never hear any of them on WABC. We had the Rasta man who called up from the Bronx who told us the real story of how the emperor of Ethiopia, Haile Selassie, had gone to Jamaica. And the the Rastafari thought he was their Jesus, their king. 
They worshipped him. Is that bizarro or what? Then it was followed by the cop Joe. Remember, 40 years ago, he was patrolling Webster Avenue, Webster Projects. Came down the elevator with James Ramsour. Remember James Ramsour, one of the four that Bernard Getz uh, was confronted by, and then he shot him. It was James Ramsour, Troy Canty. Joe told us about James Ramsour. They were going down with him in the elevator, and he dropped a gun. And actually, they clipped him and collared him. Meantime, he had a deal with Troy Canty, one of the four, called up the guy's mother, and the mother cursed out Troy Canty. I keep him. The guy's a mutt, a scout. And then there was Barry Allen, and of course, there was Darrell KB. He was the guy who was shot by Getz, was on the floor. Getz looked at him, said, you don't look so bad, and capped him again. And then, of course, the... Unbelievable call of Bob from Bayonne, who was in the emergency room, the ICU of Bellevue, on the morning that I was shot five times with hollow point bullets uh, on the orders of John Gotti Sr., the John Gotti Jr., the Gambino crime family, and their hitman, Michael Iannotti, who is now out of jail. Friends, I might add, of uh, the Mama Luke Frank Morano. And he said, I look dead. Well, I felt dead. Uh, and he's sitting there. He's cuffed because he got clipped. Ha! I mean, what are you gonna, how are you going to get that from a guest? And then we were talking about the great Chuck Wepner, who I will give props to uh, Frank Marano, the Mama Luke. Uh, one of his great interviews was with Chuck Wepner, the Bayonne Bleeder. What a great uh, sense of humor Chuck has. And then the story about the statue in Bayonne underneath the Bayonne Bridge, which connects Bayonne to uh, Staten Island across the Arthur Kill, Kill Van Coe. You know what happened uh, with the remake of War of the Worlds by Spielberg. Remember how they blew that up? The Bayonne Bridge with Tom Cruise? I didn't like that version. That was weak. Hey, Spielberg, not one of your best. Tom Cruise, spare us. That was not one of your best movies. But... They blew up the Bayonne Bridge in that movie, remember? Why would they stick the statue of Chuck Webner underneath the Bayonne Bridge? I'm telling you, it should be right next to Stallone's statue, next to the Art Museum in Philadelphia, past that, uh, I guess they call it the, not the Miracle Mile, uh, um, Miracle Mile, Chicago's got that. What the hell? I got all these miles mixed up. Then you got the Nautical Mile in Freeport, Long Island. You got the the, the Miracle Mile in Chicago downtown, the shopping uh, extravaganza with the water tower. And then you got the uh, Miracle Mile in uh, Philadelphia there, right as it leads towards uh, City Hall and Broad and Market Street. I th- I'm pretty sure that's it. Well, I'm close. Let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Good morning, Curtis. Well, thanks for your lessons about Rocky and the 29 movies or 67, however they were. Anyway, you mentioned a couple of quick things. I'll give you a history lesson. You mentioned uh, Hensley Mullins. You remember what his nickname was? Oh, no. Bam Bam. Bam Bam. And you know why they called him Bam Bam? Because it turns out that he was a big fan of the Flintstones. 
And you remember Barney Rubble's kid was Bam Bam, the strongest boy in the world, who when Bam Bam grew up as a teenager, sort of had the urge to merge with Pebbles, Fred's daughter. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Bam Bam, the strongest kid in the world. That's why they called him Bam Bam Mulins. I never knew what became of him. By the way, most famous player in Mexican baseball history, Fernando Valenzuela That's right. with this the Dodgers. The screwball. Uh, by yeah, the way, when the illegals were coming across, when we were in the San Ysidro Canyon and Colonia Libertad and Colonia Juarez, which separates uh, the United States from Tijuana, most of the illegals, they would buy a Fernando Venezuela uh, uh, shirt, come running across the border because next stop was Los Angeles and they would blend right in. Now, let me give you a quick history lesson. Uh, I loved your call from Rasta Dave from the Bronx. Let me give you a history lesson. Every emperor of Ethiopia, Haile Selassie, who was the last emperor of Ethiopia, he was ousted in 1972 in a, a coup by a general Mengistu. And ever since then, Ethiopia has never had any emperors. The very first emperor of Ethiopia, according to history and tradition, was a man named Menelik. Menelik was the grandson of King David, the, yes, the King David who who killed Goliath with the with the with the shot, you know sling slingshot, but David of course had a son who was also a king of Israel named Solomon, and Solomon got together with a gal named Bilquis, who was the queen of Sheba. They had the urge to merge, and their son was Menelik. He went back, and every emperor of Ethiopia has been known by two titles: the Lion of Judah. And the Grand Nagus. And uh, that's the, in fact, Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine got that term Grand Nagus, the, 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 the ruler of Ferengi people, for planet Ferenginar, from the emperors of Ethiopia. But Haile Selassie was the emperor of Ethiopia. And when the Italians invaded in 1935, dropping the poison gas from their airplanes on tribes who had no idea what it was, he fled to Britain and he was in exile for seven years until 1941-42 when the British, who were rolling the Italians back across Libya, liberated Ethiopia and brought, brought Haile Selassie back into power. And he reigned from 1942 to 1972. So when he visited Jamaica, the Rastas figured he was the king. Ah, excellent. And you know, the communists in Ethiopia, they took out Haile Selassie, the emperor, and they executed him. Which meant the Rastas then had to scratch their Jiffy Pop hats and say, well, apparently he ain't God. Because the communists in Ethiopia whacked our God, our Rastaman. See, Robert did a very good job tying that all up. Oh, that was so good. Oh, wait, wait till you see what we have in store for you up next. You're, <laughs> you're going to be with me to the break of dawn. So. 
on the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. of some common terminology. They're not spoonerisms. No, they're not fractured phrases. They're not malaprops. But statements that people make over and over, and some of them I have no idea what the hell they mean. And I've used them myself over and over and over. Like you're in the catbird seat. What the hell does that mean, the catbird seat? First off, if you had a cat and a bird together, they'd be scrapping in that seat. So what does it mean you're in the cat bird seat? 1-800-848-9222. What does it mean, okie dokie? How many times people say, okie dokie? What the hell does okie dokie mean? I must have said it like dozens of times in my life. I have no idea what it means. 1-800-848-9222. What about, I heard this the other week, Putin is the bee's knees. What the hell is the bee's knees? Bees don't have knees. 1-800-848-9222. What about Sid Rosenberg from Israel? As he was talking to me, as he does, uh, 705 every Monday through Friday. By the way, we're going to be doing a... uh, This is your life uh, for Sid Rosenberg. It is his eighth anniversary of broadcasting here at WABC uh, in 24 hours. And uh, he will return from Israel to broadcast to all of you again starting at 6 o'clock on Monday. But while he was there, he was saying to me in one of his uh, interviews of me, by by hook or by crook, Hooker by crook. What the hell does hooker by crook mean? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the final one, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. We have an uptick in bed bugs in uh, New York. Uh, it is uh, at a very dangerous level, the bed bug infestation. Uh, 
I know I've seen those commercials on television, probably uh, as you have, where they ask, where's Rallo? Rallo, the beagle, who apparently uh, is turned loose in your place of business or your apartment and sniffs out the bed bugs, and then they come in and they basically fry your apartment. I mean, they fry everything. But what does sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite mean? Sleeping tight is not going to keep the bed bugs from biting. Why is that said? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. at 1-800-848-WABC. As you know, uh, I love to talk about Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. Obviously, I lost to him in the last mayoral election. But he gives me a lot of reason to talk about him because he creates a lot of material. And earlier on Friday, it was interesting. This didn't really make the news, but a number of people related it to me. It isn't so much a slight on Eric Adams. It's been done before. So I don't know if, in fact, this can be done as an A&P Catholic Padre, Filio, Spiritu Santo. I don't know what Eric Adams did earlier on Friday at a church in Astoria, a Roman Catholic church. Can be done. Now, he was there to uh, help say goodbye to former city councilman Paul Vallone, the 56-year-old who represented Northeast Queens, for eight years, he was a city councilman there. That's the same district that Vicky Palladino represent, re- represents now from Whitestone, the Whitestone Republican Club. But Paul died of a sudden heart attack during the early hours of Sunday morning. He could not be revived. Mayor Eric Adams and other uh, political uh, dignitaries were one of many people who came in attendance to the funeral and packed the church and packed the outside. A part of the legacy of the Vallone family and in any family situation, you never want to see the uh, parents having to bury their sons or daughters. So uh, Peter Vallone Sr. is still alive, his wife is still alive, and They had to bury their son, Paul. You have Peter Vallone Jr., who at one time ran for borough president of uh, Queens, a moderate Democrat. Many people thought he should have converted to the Republican Party because he oftentimes oftentimes sounded like Rudy Giuliani. He's sitting on the bench now. I believe he's a civil judge. Not quite sure what court part he's in. Uh, And there are other family members. But uh, Eric Adams, the mayor, spoke uh, and eulogized Paul Vallone that he had known. Although Eric Adams had never served in the city council, he did serve in the state senate. He was borough president in Brooklyn before he became mayor of New York City. Now, this is the dilemma. And maybe some of you can help me out with this. Since I am an AMP Catholic, you know what that stands for, Broadway Billy? A&P Catholic, ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. So Eric Adams left the pew when it was time for communion. And this is the other thing. And again, I was not there to see it myself, but I heard it third hand from quite a few people who were there. 
When it comes communion time, Broadway Bill Lee, almost the whole church gets online to receive communion. Now, if you haven't gone in confession, you can't receive communion. Don't tell me all these people had gone in confession because they're bull feathers. But then again, it's sort of like social stigmatizing social pressure. Everybody is watching who gets online and who sits in the pew. Apparently, Eric Adams got up, walked up to the priest. He was in the line of uh, receiving uh, communion. And he either received the communion or he received the blessing. I'm not quite sure on that. But Eric Adams uh, was never a Roman Catholic, is not a Roman Catholic, and I don't believe is part of any Protestant faith like the Lutherans who have communion, and there are others who have communion that are not Catholics. But it never struck me that Eric Adams was, was a member of a religious group that had communion. Reminds me of years ago when... Uh, Bill Clinton uh, was in South Africa, in Joburg. He was in the uh, town, the township of Soweto, and he received communion. And a lot of people were like bent out of shape saying, how the hell, he's a Southern Baptist, how the hell does he receive communion? There was a lot of criticism going on back then. But I'm asking all of you, because, remember, I haven't been uh, to a Roman Catholic service in a month of Sundays. I refuse to go on Sundays and Broadway Bill Lee get bored by a priest giving a sermon of about 20 or 25 minutes when most times they're sanctimonious hypocrites. And, and you realize, like halfway through the sermon, they don't even believe what they're saying. And by the way, how the hell would they know? They've never been married. They're going to lecture married people. Oh, oh, oh. What would you know, Father? They don't let you get married. They should let you get married, but they don't. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, we've got a big listener base in Astoria. Not amongst the hipsters and millennials. No, 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 no. But a lot of the uh, older Italians, older Greeks re- listen to us religiously. So the Greeks, they have their Eastern Orthodox Church. They don't have communion. I'm pretty sure of that. Eastern Orthodox, whether they're Serbian, Eastern Orthodox, Russian, Eastern Orthodox, Romanian, uh, Greek, they don't have communion. Uh, they let their priests get married. Now, if you want to move up the line, you want to be a bishop, you want to potentially be the archbishop, you can't be married. Uh, but if you just want to be a priest, you can be married in the Eastern Orthodox religion, which is good. They have less problems than the Roman Catholic Church, which allowed their priests to get married originally. Remember, the apostles were like the first priests. They were all married. And then all of a sudden, uh, when, uh, when it came time to bequeathing, when a priest would be dead, he would bequeath his property, his, his wealth, whatever money he had to his family, his wife and children, and the uh, church decided to muscle him out on that by demanding that the priest not be married. That's the real story. But if Eric Adams had actually taken the wafer and then put it in his mouth and swallowed it, taking Holy Communion, even though he's not a Catholic, 
under the rules of the Roman Catholic Church, would that be copacetic? Would that be okay? You know, it's like when Bill Clinton did it, and it raised a lot of anger from a lot of different quarters in the Roman Catholic Church. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Timothy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Timothy. And good morning, Mr. Curtis. How are you? I've had better days, Timothy. I've had better days. Well, I'm glad that you're feeling a whole lot better from the itching and the scratching. Okay, get the point, because I know this time is, is moving. I just wanted to say I always enjoy your content, whether it's with one eye open and one eye closed, but you always say something that gives me jump started. Now, you took me back, sir, in the respect of when you said sitting in the catbird seat. I've heard that all my life. Don't know what it means, but I can tell you I've said okie-dokie because I'm from that generation, and that more or less means yes, okay. So okie-dokie, let, let's quantify that. Okie-dokie, as far as you're concerned, is a okay. term that means it's it's just okay. Okay, yes, what have you, yes. But you yourself have used that term, sitting in the catbird seat, and like me, uh, who's used yes. that term, have no idea what the hell that means. Well, I used to hear, like, my grandmother and her sisters used to, used to say that, like, oh, you oh, you think you're sitting in the catbird seat, meaning, like, you think you got it made in the shade. Exactly. But, as you know, if you put a cat and a bird in the same seat, that cat's going to attack the bird. Of course. <laughs> and that's very interesting. But, that is extraordinarily interesting. And I had... Uh, Mentioned a few other things that I've taken notes on, like uh, is the bee's knees, uh, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite, and what Sid My said. My mother used to tell me that. <laughs> right. Now, what, what does that mean, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite? How do you keep the bed bugs from biting you? Well, in those days, we didn't know what bed bugs was. I'm going back to the late 60s, early 70s. So that means have a good night's sleep, more or less. And then what Sid said to me from Israel, I haven't heard this in a month of Sundays, uh, hooker by crook. Ah, yes. <laughs> People will say that all the time. I'll do it, hooker by crook. And I'm like, well, wait a second. What does crook have to do with hook? That means you're going to get it done no matter if the bus don't run. Mm. But listen. It's something that you said earlier that hit that hit the nail on the head was something the old timer had told me a few years ago that I didn't know. But you know, just for nostalgia purposes, I can't remember who what his name was. But you mentioned like maybe a half an hour ago or twenty minutes ago, one of the famous baseball players, and it made me think of two things. Number one, do you remember Johnny Bench? Yeah. Okay, and do you remember Johnny Bench batter up? that toy that you used to stick in the ground and you hit the ball and, and it comes swerving around to you. You could just, it was, it was more or less like a practice for the kids in the early seventies. Yeah. It was a poor man's batting cage. Ah, very well said, sir. Okay. Now moving from that, I did not know that what we call Ebbets field today used to be the old Brooklyn Dodgers baseball field back in the days. Never knew that. Oh, yeah. And in fact, they still have the wall there in front of the high rise apartment building that replaced it. Really? Yep. I passed by there a zillion times on my bike. I never see that. Yeah, no, there's a wall 
uh, right in the front, uh, supposedly, now remember, I was, I'd never gone to Ebbets Field. Uh, I was too young at that time. But supposedly they have a part, part of the wall of the old Ebbets Field that is in the beginning of the Ebbets Field housing complex. I wonder if they're facing on the uh, the, uh, the Empire side or maybe, well, who knows? Because that's, that's Empire and that's Bedford. Right, it would be it would be the Bedford side. So the side that you would enter so. the housing complex, uh, which again that used to be where Ebbets Field was, wasn't far from where I went to school. It's now Medgar Evers College, but it was Brooklyn yes, Prep High yes, School yes, when that I, I know, went. That I know. And in fact, Gil Hodges and, would actually come over from Ebbets Field and put on a clinic for the Brooklyn Prep baseball team. He hit baseballs over the school. And pass the armory into Bedford Avenue. Are you serious? Yep, that's how that's now, how strong a hitter Gil Hodges was. Now, see, now you're gonna make me go old school and pull out as soon as I get off the phone with you. Pull out one of my encyclopedias that my mom bought me, the set in 1984, and research that because I love to read. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, one, two things: uh, Johnny Bench and Gil Hodges had in com- common. As baseball players, they had the biggest hands uh, that anyone has ever seen. They could hold sometimes five baseballs in one hand. Mm. That's a hell of a lot of baseballs to hold in one hand. But, you know, I was really saddened to hear about Mr. Weathers passing today or home going, whichever you want to call it, because, you know, he was an excellent actor, entertainer, and, you know, he, he set Rocky off. Yeah, but, you know, I, I had remember seeing him in an episode of Good Times, you know, with uh, Jimmy Walker, yes, Dynamite. Yes, that's, when JJ, that's when J.J. was painting his wife's portrait. That's right. It was called The Nude. Yes, 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 yes. And, and apparently he was the angry husband who suspected Correct. that his wife was cheating with him, on him, with J.J. Correct, correct. And he, then he, time. he was on a uh, he he made a guest appearance on Kung Fu. Really? Yeah, Kung Fu, and an episode uh, of um, I'm trying to remember Barnaby you mean, Jones. You mean with David with David Carradine? Yeah, David Carradine. He was on one of those episodes. Now, see, now I'm going to have to Google that because back in the days, you know, watching Kung Fu on a Sunday that was it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And who would have ever thought that David Carradine would be found upside down in a closet in Bangkok, Thailand, hermetically sealed in uh, to uh, cellophane? I mean, that's freaky deaky. I, I remember that. I remember that when that happened. Yeah, yeah, that was that 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 was because, you know, he was like one of the greats like him and Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. That that was that was karate royalty. Oh, yeah, remember that final scene. What was it, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris in the Roman Coliseum? Yes, sir. I have it on DVD, too, from the side of the <laughs> That was one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. Mr. Mr. Curtis, I'm going to just say these last two things, and I'm going to let you go. Number one, keep Donna Summer alive and going strong, sir. I love hearing Broadway Billy and you play her in all the classics. And number two, remember the five deadly venoms? 
The five deadly venoms. Is that like the 36 chambers of death of Wu-Tang Clan? Well, it was a karate flick back in the days from the early, no, from the late 70s, early 80s. I would say about 78, 79. It always used to come on Sunday on Channel 5. Mm, no, I don't remember that. Research it. That, that's when, that's when uh, every, um, each five deadly uh, karate uh, guy had his own uh, technique. One had the frog, one had the scorpion, one had the lizard. And you know that that that's what they were named for their their karate techniques, but the frog was like that was like the thing for us kids back in the seventies. You know you don't get that no more. And just like you, I remember you saying a few few days ago how you could go to a matinee and see three movies for five dollars. That that those days when you know you used to go out with your friends or go out with your parents, that was like family time or friends time. And it's like where are we now from where were we were. Well, where I was the other night on the Deuce, 42nd Street between 7th and 8th, right by the New Amsterdam Theater, that's where those Venezuelan thugs gave the beat down to the cops and uh, four oh, of them. I'm still disgusted over that. Yeah, four of them on a bus to the Hotel California as we speak. But back then, when I first started the Guardian Angels, we'd roll up into the Deuce. They had three martial arts flicks for $5, Run Run Shore where a guy who looked like he was 185 years old would jump in the air like 500 feet, uh, throw uh, spinning hook kicks, axe kicks, reverse punches, and you'd say, come on, that guy can't jump that high. And some of the brothers would put out a gun and say, yeah, you do that to me, and I'll shoot you. And boom, they'd shoot the screen, and everybody go running outside. But you know what? It's ironic how from those days, to when Mayor Giuliani cleaned it up and made 42nd Street one of the biggest tourist attractions. It's like we're going backwards. That's true, but I surely do wish we had those days of three kung fu flicks for $5. $5. I agree with you. <laughs> and by the way, Black Belt Jones, Jim Kelly, remember? Uh, sir, look, I have him three the hard way. Every movie he ever made. The ultimate. With Fred Williamson and Jim Brown. Right. All on DVD and VHS tape. The Hammer Man, Fred Williamson. But can you imagine if you had the three great martial artists, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, and Jim Kelly in a face-off? No, no, face-off, you know. Oh, 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 oh. Mm, I don't know. That's, that's, that's kind of tough. Cause I'll be, I, I... White. I would be rooting for. I'll be rooting for Bruce Lee, even though Jim Kelly is. You know, I like Jim Kelly, but Bruce Lee, he just had it. Look, everybody wanted to be like Bruce Lee back in the days. I had cousins; they had posters of Bruce Lee in their room, and they used to make their own chucks. Oh, new chucks, yeah, like yeah. And they used to go down to Chinatown and they get the uh, kung fu slippers, and they wear those yes. black pajamas, and then they just show that they were. <laughs> They were tough. They go to the uh, Chinese store and get Tiger Bomb, you know. So when I get bruised uh, up, <laughs> that stuff sh- smelled, smelled Tiger Bomb. Oh my God, the good old days. That's right. But that classic battle, Chuck Norris squaring off with Bruce Lee in the Roman Coliseum. Now, see, now you're going to make me pull out the DVD and say, I- I'll-, I'll read tomorrow and watch that after we get off the phone with another pot oh, of coffee. Oh, but remember, 
when Lou Alcinda, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, took on Bruce Lee. I remember, look, I saw that on television before I saw it in the movies. Man, that, that, was, that, was, that was quick. Outstanding. <laughs> look, look, look how tall Kareem stood over Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee, one leg he could he could go over his head, but Bruce Lee, you know, he wasn't nothing to play with in the day. Quick, I mean, fast. And then they claim that a master put the finger on his chest, and it was the finger of death that caused his entire internal organ structure to collapse, and he's buried not far from Jimi Hendrix in Seattle, Washington. Really. Yep. And you know yeah, how his know. his son ended up dying too. Yes, yes, yes I do. I, I remember that very well. That was sort of like uh right out of uh oh man, it's almost like uh, I'm thinking now Baldwin. That was like a Baldwin style accident. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's ironic cuz they were both very young when they passed, pretty much in the same age bracket. Yep, and I got to tell you uh, what what Bruce Lee did for martial arts. There were so many men and women who opened up martial arts schools as a result of all the interest that Bruce Lee had created. It, it was like a bonanza just everywhere. Somebody would open up a martial arts school because everybody wanted to be like Bruce Lee. And you know what, Mr. Mr. Curtis? It wasn't so much about the self-defense. It was about the discipline and the structure and, you know, the um, – what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it just – it gave you – because some needed that inner peace because they had so much rage that they couldn't control. So karate or karate, whatever you want to call it, it gave them that to instill in that and taught them how to harness, you know, and control their, their, their moves. Oh, there's no doubt. In fact, I had always uh, advocated, even when I was running uh, for uh, mayor, that there be mandatory martial arts lessons for the girls in gym class. I feel that they need that more now than ever. Yeah, because they're constantly being preyed upon, oftentimes by their own family members, uh, not just uh, strangers. You know, where they say stranger danger. No, 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 no. Uh, I think this should be made because they end up playing Swedish uh, uh, field hockey, uh, volleyball, all that. Look, that's fine. But young ladies need to defend themselves because oftentimes they're preyed upon in their own house. They're preyed upon in the streets. They're preyed and upon they're preyed in upon the schools. On social media. Exactly. Exactly. We didn't have that in our day. You know, so it kind of kept things that narrowed down. Now, let me see. Uh, I'm going to pose a question to you. The first great wave of martial arts schools opening up throughout America was with uh, when Bruce Lee was in his heyday. What was the uh-huh. second time that it began to, to grow in leaps and bounds? Ooh, okay. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I can't answer that. Oh, man. The uh, Ninja Turtles. Remember how oh, all God. the kids wanted to be like Ninja yeah, they, Turtles? Look, let me tell you something. That was a craze. I had a friend. Her grandson had everything, all the merchandise, down to the bed sheets and the pillowcases and pajamas. It was like, it, his room was like Ninja Turtle City. 
Do you remember the teen, teenage uh, ninja mutant uh, characters? Uh, the only one I remember is oh my god, no, not Scorpio. He had a he had a, a a common name, Hasbro or something like that. I can't remember. Mm. But I when can't, I can't remember, but I, but I can see his face clear as day. Right when they came out with their movie and the 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 cartoon show and everything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there were martial arts uh, uh, places opening up all over the country, especially after school, because a lot of times they would bust the kids from the school. It became almost like a daycare for the kids until right. the mommy or daddy could come pick them up, and they'd pick them up in the martial arts academy. And everybody wanted to be a Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtle. How crazy was that, Timothy? Well, let me tell you something, sir. That was a good craze because it was a positive craze. It was nothing negative, and it had nothing. If anything, it was for the kids' benefit, you know, in the bigger picture. You're absolutely right. So first there was the Bruce Lee wave. It caused many martial arts schools to open up. By the way, you know, there's no one central authority to oversee martial arts schools. So you get these characters open up at school. Oh, I'm an eighth-degree red belt. I'm a 10th degree black belt. You mean you're both? Absolutely. Well, who certified you? Myself. I watch a lot of uh, kung fu movies uh, on the deuce. Three for five. So they open up. Then there was the, the craze for the teenage ninja mutant turtles. What were the names of the teenage ninja mutant turtles? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Break of dawn, ain't nobody going to sleep on me. No, 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 no. Got to get back to Padre Filia Spiritu Santo. Right at the altar of a Roman Catholic church. It could be anywhere in America. It could be anywhere in the world. Let's go to Pete, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Curtis, in in extraordinary Catholic theology, the communion is the actual and the original crucifixion of Jesus at the Passover. 
And everyone who receives that communion, including the priest, receives it either to the blessing and clemency of God, or they receive it to their damnation, just as King Herod, Pontius Pilate, and Judas Iscariot, um, and including the priest. And the reason for this is, is that at the original crucifixion of Jesus, without their knowing about it, every type of human personality was present at the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Every type of human. The mockers, the laughers, the circus watchers, the gamblers, the indifferent, uh, uh, the, the persecutors, the Judas Iscariots, uh, the politician, King Herod. Uh, uh, it was really King, it was really Pontius Pilate who was on trial before Jesus. Jesus was not on trial before Pontius Pilate. So today, with political correctness and cowardliness, uh, and when the church people will not teach the correct teaching of the Catholic Church, they're just letting everybody uh, go do a feel-good and receive communion. Ah, uh, oh, Padre Filius Spiritus Santum. We're going to go from uh, receiving communion in the Roman Catholic Church to the Beach Boys. 77 WABC presents an in-depth look at what's going on right now. Here's Curtis Lewa. The walls are closing in on Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. So what does he always do as he's done in the past? Use his complexion as his protection and play the race card. But in order to do that, he has to come home. Brownsville, Brooklyn. So here we are. In the place of my birth, people can say what they want, but you have a mayor from Brownsville. Never ran and never will. Problem with that is, I lived on Osborne and Hegeman for two years with a mezuzah on the door. That's when the Jewish folks lived in Brownsville. The other thing is that Eric Adams decided to join the Dave Chappelle's Haters Club. He thinks everybody is spending all their time just hating on him. That's why people are hating on me. Well, there's a lot of reasons that people are hating on you, Eric Adams. A, you brought the illegal aliens in. B, they're beating up our cops. You won't do nothing about Alvin Bragg, your friend who cut loose these illegal aliens who are now on their way to California. That's why people are hating on me. See, you're saying you're for reparations for African Americans. You want to go back to a time where it's 40 acres in a mule. That's why people are hating on me. And D, you give us political vertical. One minute, oh my God, the migrants have destroyed the city. The next minute, no, 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 I found some money under the Castro convertible. We're okay. We're doing great. We're the best. Crime is down. Jobs are up. Once the sun goes down, he's going to party all over town. Listen to Curtis Lewa anytime, 77WABCRadio.com and the 77WABC app. 
Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. wondering why we're going to be talking about the Beach Boys. Well, because, remember, we are into the weekend of entertainment. Pretty soon, in a few hours, you'll have the Prince of Staten Island, Vinnie Madunio, and then the greatest uh, DJ of all times, Cousin Brucie. Cousin Brucie! Then Tony Orlando without Dawn. Then it bleeds right into Sunday when you have Jersey Joe uh, Piscopo and the Two hours of the nationally syndicated Frank Sinatra show. And you have yours truly, in which I intersperse a lot of music. It's theater of the mind. I'm not straining your brain with the kind of talk you get during the week, which is politics, politics, politics. Oh, Biden sucks. Donald Trump is uh, omnipotent. He's like God. Then there's Hunter Biden, the laptop, impeachment. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Spare me. It's not the kind of talk radio I do. I've never done that, and I never will. There are plenty of others who do it because they repeat each other all freaking day long. Trump is omnipotent. He's God. Joe Biden sucks. Hunter Biden's laptop. His cocaine in the White House. I mean, I can can lip sync all the lines. I hear them so many times from morning, noon, and night here at WABC. Well, when it comes to music and entertainment, you know, there's a guy who dabbles. He'll be coming up from 7 to 10. That's Bo Snurdly. And uh, he thinks he uh, mixes and matches songs. He can't touch this, Broadway Billy. He can't touch this. And a lot of you are wondering, wait, wait, Curtis does not normally go the Beach Boy route. And that is true. I don't. But I have followed the Beach Boys... Ever since the 60s when, you know, to me, they were like bubblegum rock in the beginning. You know, surfer boys, Southern California music, which was the last thing I wanted to hear, to be honest with you. I was more interested in the Beach Boys as they evolved into psychedelic music. And it was quite, quite a journey for them. Incredible, and it all came about because the 
wife of Brian Wilson, Melinda Wilson, has passed away at the age of 77. And Melinda Wilson was who rescued her future husband, the Beach Boys co-founder Brian Wilson, from psychological ruin when they were dating in the 1980s. You may remember that Brian Wilson was in and out of psychiatric facilities. He was getting all kinds of mental health for his problems. In fact, it was so bad that Brian Wilson had hooked up with this guy called Eugene Landy a psychologist who had helped him fight off his demons and depression and substance abuse to stage a professional comeback. And uh, it actually was all in a movie. Try to remember the name of the movie. Paul Giamatti was uh, the guy who played his shrink. But the guy got so overwhelming uh, to Brian Wilson and his family that in fact he was shown the door because he was trying to uh, control everything in the life of Brian Wilson. I mean everything from A to Z. Almost like a little bit like the uh, conservatorship with Britney Spears. Uh, He pretty much was acting in that same capacity. And it was Melinda Wilson who apparently was able to extricate him from that and was... The focus of the biopic, uh, Love and Mercy. Married for 28 years, and I think they met in a car dealership in uh, Southern California. What intrigued me about the Beach Boys, again, was not their good vibrations, bubblegum music, as I call it, Southern California surfer boy music, was not Mike Love, who uh, as a part of the group initially has now put out, uh, I guess you could call it a book, documentary, book, combination. He kind of bitter towards Brian Wilson, claiming that Brian Wilson got a lot more credit for the lyrics uh, of what the Beach Boys performed as opposed to uh, Mike Love, who he claimed wrote many of those lyrics a bit snarky there, I would say. But it was extraordinarily interesting that Mike Love, who's like now Mr. Donald Trump, you know, he's been at Mar-a-Lago with the Beach Boys. They've gone very much patriotic, right-wing, you know, American flags, the whole nine yards, surfer boys, California, the old tradition of the 60s. But apparently, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know I'm talking to a lot of Beach Boy fans out there. Mike Love had a habit, bad habit, of impregnating women at home, then marrying them, having constant affairs on the road, watching the marriages break up with very young children involved, and then repeating the whole process again. And his cousin, Dennis, the group's drummer, had the worst habit of sneaking around with Mr. Love's women and in one case impregnating Mr. Love's daughter. And then remember that time when uh, Dennis Wilson brought home to the Beach Boys to Brian and company Charlie Manson and the family... 
Hello. Guess who's joining us? He's going to jam with us. Charlie Manson and the family. Dennis Wilson ended up dying, leaving two young love children with Susan Atkins. Remember Susan Atkins? Not that the Atkins died. Susan Atkins was one of the followers of Charlie Manson who helped kill Sharon Tate as their babysitter. Wow. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So the battle now continues between Mike Love, who is the leader of the Beach Boys in the tour, and those who uh, prefer the Beach Boys from their psychedelic days and believe that Brian Wilson, alive but still with uh, severe psychological problems, is really the genius behind the Beach Boys and should be uh, remain the credit for many of the songs written, not Mike Love. Wow. So real battle. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Bill in Montclair. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Okay, Curtis. I'm I'm two and one against the great the great one. Yeah, you missed the fifty five Dodger lineup and uh, the Carrie Fisher and stuff we did. Uh, the one you got was the uh, the. the the, the, the Joey had the thing, the Lance Rensel and everything that you remember, uh, right? So, so let me let me just run some things. We could talk for an awful long time, but I'll just run some fast things. First of all, the reason I'm calling, uh, you mentioned the number two song, and by the way, you didn't play the person who made it a hit, namely she was uh, that was a sort of a one hit wonder. Remember Astrid Gilberto? No, I don't. But you're right. Come on now, Broadway Billy. Why right, did you? Wait a minute. I want Hold wait, on wait, a second, brother. Bill. I want to hear the female singing it. I don't want to hear Sinatra. I don't want to hear Victor Moore. No, 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 right. Astrid, no, no. Astrid Gilberto was a, a lovely look. In fact, I think she's still alive. She, her brother, Jal Gilberto, he died. Uh, they were they they were preserved. and she was sort of a one hit wonder. I, I mean, she did other things, but it was that. So she was like Nancy Sinatra. Those boots were made for walking. Same type of thing, uh, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Now, now you got me. But I'm telling you, I'm upset with Broadway Billy. He should have known better than that. Uh, okay, now, now I, I got I got some other things. Yeah, well, if you played it, how come you can't play it now, Broadway Billy? Hey, now, wait, wait, wait a minute. Listen to me. Some other day. Very impressed by you saying Salad Barber Magley. And, of course, you know why he was called the Barber. That you probably do, right? Yeah, gave him chin music like that, Don Drysdale. Right. All, all the time. Very impressed. And you said Niagara. That's very impressive. Okay, Niagara is one of 200 Catholic schools. Uh, academically, the best, number one's Notre Dame. Number two is Georgetown. Number three is Boston College, Doug Flutie. And, oh, by the way, only two of them. Name me Notre Dame and Boston College. Out of 200, have Division One football teams. It's damn too expensive. Uh, right? I've been a Michigan fan for like 60, 70 years. I, I feel sorry for you. Uh, no, no, no. They, what are you talking about? They just won the national championship. That's rigged. Are you kidding? Everybody, every year, they go into, what do they call that, the pit? Their quarterback. No, 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 no. Forget about that. Harbaugh, they, they 
offered him. Things have changed. I, I live in, in, in this town. Yogi Berra used to. They made him and Rizzuto sold suits for ten thousand right. dollars. And and remember, they had a bowling alley in Clifton. A right, bowling right. alley in Clifton. That's right. Anyway, Harbaugh, uh, who just left to, to go to the pros, yeah, the Los sold Angeles out. Raiders. Sold out. No, no, no. I, I think he signed up with the San Diego, uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Los Angeles, Excuse right, me. right. And they offered him, Michigan offered him, uh, things have changed, $12.5 million a year for 10 years. Wait, okay, wait. And they, wait, wait. They have this portal now. So if you play for one team one year, you go right, into the portal, right. you could be playing for another team the next year, and then another team the following year. It's it's professional sports right. now. Well, it's but, not but, college. But, but that, Michigan, that Michigan team last year is going to probably have the most pro draft picks of any team in history. Uh, and, by the way, uh, uh, Tom Brady was taken on a sixth round. And, uh, Mr., uh, this guy, the guy who's going to be on uh, for San Francisco, he, he went to Iowa State. Purdy, uh, Purdy, Purdy. And, and they called, no, they, they called him Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, what a, what a Mama Luke. He lives with one of the linemen. Well, he's in San Francisco. Let me hear a little bit more of that. Come on, man. You're cheating on me here. Okay, I stopped down a little bit. So the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, a guy named Purdy, second year. He's right. He's out of Iowa. But he's making like a million, and he's living with the linemen because he says he can't afford yet his own apartment. Now, because it is the Bay Area, it is San Francisco. I mean, I know he has a girlfriend. I saw that after the game when they beat the Detroit Lions. I hated that. He was lip-smacking with his girlfriend, but I don't know. I think uh, he might be a gay blade. Maybe. I could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first professional football player who was gay but wouldn't necessarily let anybody know. San Francisco, though, that ain't. That's a big plus in the huddle, in uh, the locker room, and in the, the public, the Castro section. All right, let's lower this music here, Broadway Billy. Where, where the hell is Broadway? Uh, Billy, a little lady, a girl of Impanema. A little lower, a little lower. A little, a little lower. I'm not doing the boxing over to this, okay? But the point being is, the San Francisco 49ers, believe it or not, you're going to hear a long explanation of it by my wife, Nancy, on the Animal Welfare Hour, Sunday, 10 to 11. They use puppy therapy before they go out into the gridiron. Now, most teams, they're in the locker room, they're smashing their head into their locker, you know, break their leg, do a Lawrence Taylor to Joe Theismann, but let's... Let's let's say a prayer that everybody uh, lives to survive for another day. How crazy is that? Kill them, do whatever you got, turn them into a speed bumper. Let's say a prayer that everybody walks out in the same shape they walked into the locker room. How sanctimonious uh, of a hypocrisy is that? But anyway, the San Francisco 49ers do not do that. They actually have puppies in the locker room before the game to calm them down, to take the edge off, to take the anxiety away. It must work. They beat the Detroit Lions, who I wanted to win. 
Except the moment that I saw that Flavor Flav was an instant Jello pudding pie pop uh, uh, fan of the Detroit Lions. He had all the Detroit Lion garb on and said it's over. That's the curse against the Detroit Lions. Why the hell was Flavor Flav a fan of the Detroit Lions? Get out of here. That didn't happen. <sighs> that was a tough loss. But anyway, uh, to get back on track, the San Francisco 49ers believe in puppy therapy. They want to take the edge off before they go out into the gridiron and play. They don't want to be mean. They don't want to be angry. They don't want to have that killer mentality. And yet they want. And they're in the uh, Super Bowl against Taylor Swift. Yes, Broadway Billy, Taylor Swift, because there's no sense talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's talking about the Swifties and Taylor Swift. Oh, boy. Let's go to Anthony, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Anthony. I'm here, Curtis. How are you? Um, I know what you're going to say. That's all right. Please don't hang up on me because I got a couple things to say. First and foremost, were you in Parkchester, like the Leone House of Buildings in 1984? Could you have been there? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't looking for AOC all out crazy at the time. Uh, she was living right. up in but Westchester. I got, I got a great thing to tell you. Check this out. I am 48 years old. I was there when I was nine years old, and I was with my mom, and my great aunt lived there until she was 106 in those buildings by herself until she was 103. She used to go with her little hunchback with a little cart and go to the stores and blah, blah, blah. And then, 100, then, then we had to put her in a nursing home. She lived to be 106. Anyway, so we were going to pick up Aunt Rose, and um, my mom parks the car, and she sees some shady people. And my mom comes from the Bronx. She grew up in the Bronx. So she sees some shady people there, and she's like, ah. She's like, let's stand there for a second. She could, she could tell. She could detect it, right? But then I turned around, and there were three guys standing there with the braids on, right? And I said to my mom, Mom, look at these guys. What are those, what are those funny-looking hats they're wearing, right? She goes, no, no, Anthony. No, those are the guardian angels. Those are good guys. Those are good. And that's, and I, and that's when I first heard about the guardian angels. Anyway, which was beautiful. It was beautiful to me because, you know, that's, I remember that from, from so long ago. But anyway, as you were talking about Bruce Lee and nunchucks, the point that I want to get across is I studied Japanese martial arts, all right? And for so long, since I'm eight years old, nine years old, they call them nunchucks. First and foremost, nunchaku is how it's pronounced. That's the correct pronunciation. And I didn't want to criticize you over the, over the year, but the fact of the matter is this. Check it out. All right. I figured you could take some constructive criticism, right? Right? Because you are great. You're great. You're the, one of the most righteous people I know. You're amazing. You're an angel. You already got your, your, your king's crown in heaven. You're amazing. But constructive criticism to you, right? But the million people that are listening, they continue to say nunchucks, this and that. It's tradition. It's Japanese. It's kind of like eh, it's a little. So if I can help my brothers and sisters out there, first and foremost, it's not. Anthony. Anthony! Okay, nunchucks. <laughs> what the hell? I was going to ask him, did he know who owned and operated the Parkchester housing complex at AOC All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Socialists of America, claims she lives in and nobody sees her there? Anthony! Yeah, Anthony, Anthony. pay attention, pay attention, Anthony. I believe at the time it was the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. I believe at that time in the 80s that Anthony says he saw guardian angels. It was probably Eddie Brown. 
toughest white boy in town who uh, started the Guardian Angel Patrol on Zuriga Avenue, not far away, and did patrol Park Chester. That's probably uh, who was leading that patrol. In fact, Eddie Brown. And Bourbon, I was uh, speaking to a group of people, and unbeknownst to me, this guy had like a twenty-two in a paper bag. I couldn't see him out of my peripheral sight, and he pulled it out, and he was going to shoot me in the head. He wasn't that far away, and Eddie Brown took him out with an axe kick, and he was sucking concrete right there, Canal and Bourbon in New Orleans. The cops come. They gave him a beatdown. Oh, the cops down there are vicious. They're brutal. They gave him a beat down. They threw him in the paddy wagon and took him away. We're walking around that night right down near Jackson uh, Square, right where the cathedral is before you hit the actual canal itself. Well, actually, the Mississippi River, the levee. And uh, Eddie Brown says to me, oh, my God, Curtis, look who's walking down the block. It was the same guy who tried to kill me. He had on a wristband from the hospital he had been in. Obviously, they had sent him for a psych uh, uh, observation, and they had cut him loose. Circa New York City 2024. That's what happens here. Uh, but Eddie Brown went on to become the uh, UFA treasurer, just recently retired, but definitely the toughest white boy in town. Boy, we got a lot of information in that one there, Broadway Bill Lee. Let's go to Tom in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Good morning, Curtis. Long time no speak. Always fun to talk with you about music. You you have very interesting taste because I know that you're not a Beatles fan at all. You've made that quite clear. And I know you like, you know, disco and a lot of the material from that period. I know you dig the Chai Lights and the Manhattans, great stuff. I'm curious, um, what are some of your favorite Beach Boys songs? It's particularly interesting to me that you like the material from the later period. Yeah, well, look, uh, my sister, my older sister, loved the Beach Boys in the 60s. She's got a few years on me, a leader. And so mm-hmm. she listened to all, you know, Surfing USA, all those songs that came out, uh, you know, uh, with your T-Bird on, all those songs. Hey, look, they were pleasant to listen to, but I really... I would say I really got to start to listen to them. Mm, it would be the late '60s. You know, they they were I got tied up with that Maharishi Yogi guy that they the Beatles got tied up with, and the Howard Stern later on. But the actual smiley smile to me mm-hmm. that was sort of like whoa. Is this yeah. the same? Is this the same Beach Boys? What a transition that was! Smiley well, smile. You're still, you know, if you're still interested in them and you're still sort of open to listening to material from that period, you might enjoy. There's three albums from like the early '70s: Sunflower, mm. Holland, Surfs Up. Those three records are great records. So if you have time at home. You know, you might spin those. Oh, no, a- absolutely, absolutely. Now, did you ever hear the song Cease to Exist? 
Well, yes, I've heard it, and I kind of know some of the story around it. I'm aware that it was something that Charles Manson brought to Dennis, and then he was hoping that the Beach Boys would, would record it as it stood. And that didn't happen, and Dennis took the song and sort of changed it a little bit, changed the title, I think, and changed... I think he changed the title to Cease to Resist, come to think of it, and then... Uh, changed some of the other components of it and put it on one of their albums and, you know, didn't credit Charles Manson <laughs> with, the, with the music or the lyrics. And, you know, but, but there's it, some speculation. Isn't, isn't, isn't this amazing, this. though, at that time? So you have uh, Dennis Wilson driving around. He meets Charlie Manson in the tribe. He comes back. There's Brian Wilson. He goes, hey, Brian. Guess who's coming to dinner? Charlie Manson and his tribe. Holy mackerel. And then they're jamming. They're jamming. And Brian said, man, I don't like this guy, man. I was like, why don't you lose him like a bad habit? But uh, Dennis apparently was not only into uh, the Manson family, but remember, I think he even had... uh, Babies with Atkins and, uh, you know, who was like right in there stabbing away Sharon Tate just a little while afterwards. Yeah, it's pretty, it, the whole thing is depressing and horrible. You know, and I remember, I'm sure you do too, when all of that was going on and it was wretched. And there's some speculation that, that, that the murders were somewhat of a retaliation against Terry Melcher who also told Charlie to, you know, go away and I'm not interested in your music because Manson was courting him to try and get him to produce his songs and all of that. And, he and, and remember Neil Young, too? Neil Young was driving around with Charlie Manson. Neil Young! Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all, they were, at that time, Charlie Manson was like, yeah, I want to jam with you guys. <laughs> it's like, you're kidding. Charlie Manson, uh... Well, he must have been a fairly good musician, because they're not going to just be jamming with any amateur. So, but then he brings he brings his whole tribe with him. Yeah, yeah, coming in off the road. Well, I've never heard there are some demos out there of Manson's insanity. I've never really heard that material, but I'm assuming that that some of that is what wound up in. Terry Melcher's hands and probably Dennis Wilson. And Dennis, Dennis basically was like a beach bum for years, wandering around Southern California, homeless, and then uh, apparently went swimming and he, somebody had dropped something in the drink and he tried to recover it or it had been dropped there before and he drowned. Over. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. The, 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 the brother who you would have thought is the least likely to have survived, meaning Brian, is the only one standing because Carl died of cancer, I think, and Dennis drowned. And, you know, it's a a sad, wretched story in a lot of ways, but the music is fantastic. You know, I, 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 I saw a video, you mentioned Carl dying, he died of the lung cancer because he was a degenerate smoker of uh, cigarettes. But he, to his last days, he would perform on stage. He'd sit on a stool, and he'd need oxygen after every song. And he would still perform. I mean, that's hardcore. That is hardcore. I didn't know that. 
And I know that a lot of those folks from that generation were excessive smokers. Joni Mitchell smoked, you know. I don't know if she stopped smoking, but she was smoking, you know, every two seconds. You watch some interviews with her from years ago when she's lighting a cigarette every two seconds. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they... I don't know, man. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they ingest the drugs and the alcohol and the, and the cigarettes and get up and do any of that because... Well, that's the amazing thing about Brian Wilson, because, you know, what they say about genius, it's right on the cusp of insanity. Mm -hmm. And he was in and out of psychiatric facilities. I mean, this guy who, let's face you know, look, Mike Love says, oh, I wrote most of those songs. I don't know about Mike Love, you know. it's I'm sure he was a, a great contributor But why does he want to take away from the legacy of Brian Wilson? This guy has been in and out of psychiatric facilities. He's still alive. You know, he's clearly impaired. But you cannot deny the fact that this guy was cranking out song after song after song. Yeah. Great material. I want to also mention one other thing to you because you're such a New York character. And it also relates to the subject of music. If you go on YouTube and search the interviews with Tao Macero, do you know who Tao Macero is or was? No, could you uh, educate me on that? Tao Macero was like a staff producer and A&R man for Columbia Records under Goddard Lieberson in the 50s and 60s and produced a lot of, if not all of, the Miles Davis albums. Many of them, anyway. His stories are hilarious about working in the studio with Miles and Dave Brubeck and all of those people, the music business, um, getting a hit single on Take 5 for Dave Brubeck. It's hilarious, and you love listening to him. Oh, and you know, know, Tom, who is a real fan of Miles Davis and Dave Brubeck, he's coming up at 7 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Bo Snurdly. Yep, yep, yep. James Golden. He loves Miles Davis. Loves Miles Davis. Well, you, you mentioned jazz. Brubeck. Davis. That's Bo Snurdly. Although he couldn't be more hopelessly wrong saying that earth, wind, and fire is a better group than Sly and the Family Stone. No way. Absolutely not. Never happened. Never will be. I don't care how much he tries revisionism, it is not true. Curtis Lewa, musical extravaganza continues. And just remember, if you had a gun to your head and you had to choose either Sly and the Family Stone or Earth, Wind, and Fire, you better choose Sly and the Family Stone. Hell no. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. All the leaves are brown, and the sky is gray. Been for a long, long, on a winter's day, yeah. 
Cholos, those Venezuelan uh, thugs, uh, singing to themselves as they pound the hound on the way to California, where they are seeking sanctuary in the Hotel California, and the protection of the Governor Gruesom Newsom, who will not extradite the poor back to New York under any circumstance. No way. He's always protecting uh, thuggish illegal aliens, criminal illegal aliens. That's the Governor Gruesome Newsom who thinks one day he's going to be President of the United States over my dead body. By the way, when Brian Wilson went into the psychiatric facility, you know who replaced him, Broadway Billy? Glenn Campbell temporarily replaced Brian. And it wasn't Brian Epstein. Wrong group. Because they were one of the few American groups that were able to survive the British invasion of the Beatles, the Stones, and all the other groups that came over. The uh, Beach Boys were able to hold their own. Whereas so many other American groups just faded and got crushed in that British invasion. But when Brian Wilson had to check into a psychiatric hospital, Glenn Campbell agreed to temporarily serve as Brian's replacement in their consort tours. Yeah. Yes, yes. Glenn Campbell. And I remember, right, you look at some of the uh, early uh, look of the Beach Boys and they look like uh, sort of the five lettermen. You know how they had those, uh, I don't really call those jackets, you know, those uh, those sort of lined jackets, white slacks, uh, you know, hush puppies or whatever that California look was. But they reminded me, they look like the five lettermen. And then they started to transition in their look. I preferred the psychedelic version of the Beach Boys. My sister, Alita, preferred the Southern California surfer boys image. You know, the clean cut, you know, all American, that kind of thing. Meantime, they were dropping acid. They were doing all kind of drugs. They had Charlie Manson. Hey, guess who's coming to dinner? Brian Wilson goes to uh, his brother, Dennis. Who? Charlie Manson and the family. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, let him hit the bong here. Hey, Charlie, uh, you want to join our jam? <laughs> Neil Young is driving around Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard. And who is the passenger? Charlie Manson. Oh, boy. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Frankie in Glendale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie. Hey, Cuz, you uh, struck a nerve there with the Beach Boys with me. I don't know... uh... Brian's wife's name was Marilyn, not Melinda. No, no, no. I don't know who wrote that. No, it's Melinda Wilson. You're saying Marilyn? It's Marilyn, my brother. Somebody's setting you up for a fall. I thought for sure it was Melinda. She just passed away. I can't find that anywhere on the Internet, but you can look it up, brother. Oh, you got to check the old gray lady, the New York Times. Remember, the New York Times says all the news that's fit to print and they're never wrong. Well, those guys better learn how to spell people's names right. It's, it's, it's Maryland. Listen, cause we we should have the money that the Beach Boys spent on lo- lawyers suing each other. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that went on. What the amount of cars that these guys had smashing them up. Right, but why do you, why do you think that knowing that Brian Wilson was impaired in and out of psychiatric facilities under the care of a psychologist uh, shrink uh, also when he was out, that Mike Love would be so bitter. I mean, they gave him the group, you know, the name. He went on tour. Uh, you know, he's now the All-American guy. You know, he's at Mar-a-Lago. He performs uh, for Trump and the Trumpers. Well, why do you think... That he's so bitter towards Brian, who I always felt really was the one who basically got them to turn away from surfable boy music. Listen, it's all about money, all right? The the, the, the amount of rights that they have to the songs, uh, they're getting older, they want to know where they're going in their, their old age. And, uh, you know, listen, i got another thing for you. you got something in common with uh, uh, Brian Wilson. He liked cats. And... Uh, they had, uh, he put his uh, piano in his living room and he had a, he had sand on the floor. There was only one thing. The cats used this, they used it as a sandbox and they didn't clean it out. So the, the living room used to stink a lot. It's in a book. I read that. You know, the other thing that I, I learned, and it's hard for me to believe that, but Elizabeth Taylor apparently had cats and dogs and would not clean up after them in the apartments that she had. In fact, she got so sick of, uh, I think it was dog waste, uh, from breathing it in that she had to be hospitalized and almost died from that, almost like, you know, a recluse would be. And this is while... She was messing around, first with Eddie Fisher, her husband. She converted for him. And then, you know, she met the Welshman uh, while doing Cleopatra, uh, Burton. And and she's they're, they're visiting her in her apartment, and she's got all this doggy do all over the place. Would you have ever thought of that, uh, thought that of Elizabeth not, Taylor? Not me, brother. Not me. You know what happened uh, when the attack on 9-11 occurred? Nope. Uh, Michael Jackson, uh, the pedophile on a pedestal, was performing in Madison Square Garden. And in the audience was Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor. They had to get out to L.A. Naturally, no flights. They they all drove together or something. Yeah. Imagine the three of them driving across the United States on... uh, 77 Sunset Strip, right? Across the United States. Michael Jackson, Marlon Brando, Elizabeth Taylor. Is that whacked or what? I wonder who's sitting in the middle. (laughs) Well, remember, Marlon Brando went both ways. Oh, there you go. A bunch of freaks. Do you know who Marlon Brando was snacking on at the top of his career. He had just finished doing On the Waterfront. Great movie. Great movie. And then, you know, hey, uh, Stella, Stella, Streetcar, Name Desire, right? all these great movies. He was messing around with Wally Cox, who used to be on, you know, the Hollywood Squares, to tell the truth. No. Yes, Wally Cox looked like... Barney Fife, right, on, uh, you know, Mayberry RFD. 
Wally no Cox. No relationship to uh, Chairman Cox of the New York State Republican Party. No, no. Wally Cox. This guy was like uh, a geek. You know, they, they, they put a lot of people up on pedestals, you know. And even like with James Dean, you know, he was a little. Uh, now he was gay. He was a gay yeah, guy. Yeah, something with him. I mean, him and that guy, Sal Minio. He was gay, too. Yeah. You had a good time back then. Well, let's uh, let's face it. They, between um, Sal Minio and great movies, and, of course, James Dean, Rebel, what was it? Rebel with a cause, Rebel without a cause. One of those things. I like that chicky out scene, you know, with the cars riding up, right on up to the the lip of the mountainside, and you know they're gonna go over, chicky out. Oh yeah, you should do that on Fountain Avenue. Did I ever tell you how they do that, uh, Broadway Billy? I'd have my Rocket Olds '88, which I had purloined from my mom. My dad naturally away, uh, merchant seaman. I could never have gotten away with that. My dad was home. Purloin that. So I bring that Rocket Olds 88. Had no license. We'd be drag racing on Fountain Avenue towards the dump, you know, right off of Linden Boulevard. And then some of these guys wanted to play Chicky out. Now, my driving was not at the level that I could play Chicky out with these guys, but you couldn't back out. That's how a lot of guys would get killed or seriously injured. They would want to do a chicky out. And I'm sure some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 1-800-848-9222. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oh, part of the entertainment that we provide to you here at WABC on the weekends. On the 50,000 powerful watts of sound that is heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe right on down to Davy Jones's locker. Between the Bahamas that the United States State Department has said to Americans, don't go there, there's gang warfare. And Bermuda, right on down to Davy Jones's locker. Remember, by day, we are the biggest radio station in the nation. And by night, under the cover of darkness, we are the biggest station worldwide. Greater than the BBC 1, 2, 3, 4 combined. Heard from the snow-capped tips of the Himalaya Mountains in the shadow of Kathmandu and Nepal. Down to the lowest altitude, actually... Oh, not longitude, not altitude. What am I? I can't. When I'm stumbling and fumbling here, like I'm Joe Biden here, right? A uh, Death Valley. My wife Nancy's favorite location. Is she crazy? Death Valley. All there are is scorpions and, and sagebrush. Try to find any water there. It's the hottest place in the world. Twelve noon. You can fry eggs on the desert floor. 
And who loves it? Nancy Sliwa. Sheesh. Yeah, she's out there. You know, it's the one-year anniversary of Flacco, the Eurasian owl, who's out and about, who either escaped from the Central Park Zoo or was released from the Central Park Zoo. And he's made the rounds, and he has dive-bombed on the uh, rats and the mice at night because he's nocturnal. All owls are. People thought, oh, he could never survive. Oh, you know, he was raised as a little baby chick hand fed. Now, he's a predator. Good. I love owls. That was my favorite animal growing up, an owl. Remember. Remember the PSA. Give a hoot. Don't pollute. Remember the owl? Oh, I love that owl. My mother, Francesca, would actually talk to me when I was a little kid in Ozone Park at 88th and Boyd. We were on the second floor. Stotch, the landlord, was on the first floor. He was a sanitation guy. And I wanted to be a sanitation man so bad. He would actually sometimes take me to the sanitation barn. They had the old pots, uh, pot belly stove. And they would shape up for the morning. And I'd drive around with them in the cab, and they'd be picking up items and put it underneath the belly of the truck, which they take to the junkyard along the route. And then at the end of the route, they had brooms on the top of the truck, and they had to sweep the streets. Whatever happened to the brooms? Hey, kids, help spread the word about litter and vandalism. Give a hoot. Don't pollute. Oh, I love, love the owl. And now the Eurasian Al Flacco is out there. One year anniversary, and all the bird watchers are out with their like telescopes. Whoop a woo! Whoop a woo! Boy, they get off on that stuff. And now they declare that Flacco is a perv. He's a peeping Tom. He was fine on the Upper East Side. Nobody complained about it. He was fine through Central Park. Nobody complained about it. But all the altacacas on the Upper West Side where I live, Nancy and I were saying, they're calling him a peeping Tom. Well, of course, he's looking for love in all the wrong places. He's looking for a mate. An owl mate, you idiots. So they're calling 311, and they're claiming he's a peeping Tom. Why? Well, you think those altacacas are doing anything? They're reading the New York Times. And in fact, the Sunday New York Times, they read all week, including the letters to the editor, which the altacacas end up uh, arguing about. Uh, I don't understand all the internal fighting with the, uh, the Beach Boys. I really don't get it. I don't get the Mike Love dissing and dismissing a Brian Wilson who for so many years has had a psychological impairment, a mental impairment that has caused him to be hospitalized from time to time in psychiatric facilities. Hey, I don't know the Beach Boys. Uh, Andrew Giuliani, who will join me as he does every Sunday from 8 to 9. You know, he's in the uh, Curtis Sliwa radio uh, uh, show boot camp, and he's really making strides. He was telling me he had met Mike Love and the uh, uh, Beach Boys, uh, a lot of the substitutes for the original Beach Boys as they do their tour. Now it's an all-American tour, all the Southern California surfer boy classics. They're big Trumpers. They were at Mar-a-Lago. Andrew seemed to like uh, Mike Love. I really don't know any of these guys, but I will tell you this. Why would you diss one of the greatest songwriters of all time, Brian Wilson? 
Okay, he's a little crazy. <laughs> you know, his brother Dennis, guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, who? Charlie Manson, <laughs> his family. Charlie Manson didn't have the swastika on his forehead yet. Oh, let's sit down and jam. Yeah, jamming with Charlie Manson, the Beach Boy family. Oh, look, Neil Young is jumping in too. That's why people are hating on me. One hit wonder, Eddie Murphy, who had gone up to Orchard Park outside of Buffalo with Rick James and the Mary Jane girls. And he said, Rick, I know I got to do a lot of blow here with you because your nostrils are filled with cocaine and you're using that greasy, uh, greasy kid stuff in your hair, that relaxer. God, might as well be using green Vaseline, man. Oh, my God. But anyway, I'm going to hang with you and the Mary Jane girls until I get a number one hit. And this, believe it or not, became a number one hit. One hit wonder on VH1, Eddie Murphy. And it is, without a doubt, the theme song for Eric Matt. Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. And believe it or not, do you have the breaking news? Do you have the breaking news? You, you got to hit the breaking news. I just got information. Breaking news, WABC. Do you know who was partying with Eric Adams earlier this morning at the Club Zero Bond down in NoHo? where you can't go unless you're a member, and that's a $10,000 membership fee for the year. Believe it or not. Yours truly, the Frankster. Our own Frank Morano, the Mameluke, was partying at Club Zero Bond. First off, you have to have membership there. It's $10,000 a year, and extra ancillary things that you might want are going to cost you even more. Whatever happens in the Club Zero Bond stays in the Club Zero Bond. It's a hush-hush, mush-mush, high-end, upscale club. Then if you want to go uh, down towards the streets from the suites, you go out to Con Sofrito, owned by Jimmy Rodriguez. Actually, the State Liquor Authority license is owned by Richard Caban, brother of Eddie Caban. Richard knows nothing about running a club. That's Jimmy Rodriguez, who used to have uh, <laughs> Jimmy's Cafe there on West Fordham Road, you know, right before you hit Sedwick, and then you take the bridge right over the Harlem River into Washington Heights Inwood. Castro came there, thugs, drug dealers, homeboys, hip-hop monsters, politicos, you name it, they were all there. Free food, free booze, and Major League Baseball ordered every Major League Baseball player to stay away from Jimmy's Cafe or else you'll be put on the shelf. And they had to obey. Oh, yeah, Major League Baseball has its own police force out there, and they were, like, uh, making sure they were hanging outside of Jimmy's Cafe on West Fordham Road. Man, ain't no Major League Baseball players going there. And so it is interesting because... The mayor has, of late, decided he doesn't want to be downtown. He wants to be uptown. 
in the Bronx, where he has a lot more cover. But Broadway Bill Lee, he showed up at Club Zero Bond, and who was there smoking uh, a White Owl cigar? My God, Frank Morano is so, so, uh, so boorish. No sleep for the Frankster. Smoking White Owl Tipperillos. You know how it used to be cigars, cigarettes, Tipperillos? Frank Morano now smokes Tipperillos, maybe the worst possible thing you could smoke. He's laid up there, according to uh, eyewitnesses, smoking his Tipperillos, which was pissing people off, and talking about how he was winning so much money shooting craps at the Borgata. And who walks in? His very dear friend, and yes... He smokes cigars with the mayor. This is insane and outrageous. Don't lie. Don't lie, Frank Morano. You hang with the mayor. Not necessarily at Club Zero Bond. This is his first trip there, but at cigar bars where he smokes the Cohibas with Eric Adams and Malcolm Smith. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, 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 you know, Malcolm Smith, the former state senator, majority leader of the state senate, went to jail for political corruption. Now he's out, and he's hanging with, I can't believe this, Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, and Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. And I don't understand why we need all these houses, but apparently we do. Smoking cigars, Cohibas, that was an illegal Cubano cigars. On his own, Frank Morano smokes Tipperillo's. The Low problem budget. in the back is that the hose is too thick. Whoa. I didn't know that Frank goes both ways. Does Rachel know this? I use my right hand for a great deal. Apparently, uh, Rachel doesn't know that either. My Lord. Anyway, that's the news of the day. The Mameluke, Frank Morano, they must be lowering the standards uh, at the Club Zero Bond. That used to be considered an upscale, very she-she, hush-hush, mush-mush private club where whatever goes at Club Zero Bond stays at Club Zero Bond. You wanted to meet the mayor, you meet him there, you wine and dine and pocket line him, you make a deal, and then all of a sudden, guess what? Bingo, you get what you want, but the price has to be right. Let's go right uh, to the uh, swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, who was at a town hall meeting in Brownsville, never ran, never will, and was moaning and groaning about so many things, how he's a righteous, Euro-Asiatic black man, and being nailed to a cross. That's why people are hating on me. Yeah, because you go to the Club Zero Bond. And you go to Con Sofrito up on Westchester Avenue in the Bronx. You trying to figure out why they're hating on me? They're hating on me because those are... How many of you go to church? Oh, here he goes. Going to be doing the holy roller routine here at Broadway, Bill Lee. Whenever he's with a predominantly black crowd, it's almost like the wannabe reverend comes out in him. I- I'm sure A.R. Bernard heard the call and came running down there to Sutter Avenue in Brownsville, not far from his megachurch, which is on Linden Boulevard and Pennsylvania Avenue. 5,000-seat church. 
and he kisses Eric Adams Tukas, and he goes, oh, yes, and God sent us Eric Adams. Well, you better get a rebate. I hate you. I don't even know you, and I hate your guts. I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else but you. Oh, man. Hey, 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 that's so good, Dave Chappelle, the haters club. You see, hey, and that's what Eric had to, Hey, everybody hates me, right? With all the issues we've got in New York City and they're all... What the hell was that? That's why people are hating on me. And Sid slipped the Mickey in there trying to protect his homeboy, his friend, Eric Adams. Oh, yeah, trying to protect him, you know... Uh, in 24 hours, uh, we're going to do the story of This Is Your Life, Sid Rosenberg, on his 8th anniversary of when he first came on air here at WABC permanently with his partner, the great Bernard McGurk. Mid-mornings, they replaced Geraldo Rivera, even though Don Imus did not want Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg to get their shot. He wanted to keep them for the morning show. He did not want to give them an opportunity to do mid-morning. In fact, he wanted to give that slot to Mike Lupico, who sucks on the radio. Great sports writer, but he sucks on the radio. And he would have been doing it from his basement in New Canaan, Connecticut. Never coming into the studio. Wow. We had a fight to make sure that the great Bernard McGurk... Not only great producer, but great talk show host in his own right. And Sid Rosenberg were joined at the hip. This is what Bernard McGurk was hoping for in Sid Rosenberg. And that dream came true. And you know the rest of the story. Again, a little PSA. Bernard McGurk would have been with us, but he didn't take a PSA test. A little prick of the finger, a little blood test to determine what his PSA count was. It would have been high. It would have necessitated him having some kind of therapy for an enlarged prostate or maybe even prostate remove, removal, something I never advocate, prostate removal, because you there are so many other therapies now. Probe into them first. You could always have your prostate out later if the various therapies don't work, but you can't do it in reverse. Worst mistake in my life was getting my prostate taken out. It has been... Ugh. It has been very difficult to deal with each and every day. I'll leave it at that. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. And, uh, oh, look who's here, James Flippin. Uh, what, you go through Newark, come to Penn Station, huh? To go to the Club Zanzibar? No, of course not. Uh, the hillbilly white boy would never have been seen at Club Zanzibar downtown Newark. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Get out of here. More Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Hey, you could hit anyone, man. There's so many there that Nancy was able to find from his town hall meeting in Sutter Avenue. Uh, he was doing black speak because he never thought you, a predominantly McWhitey Whitey audience, would ever be privy to this. All oh, praise. So I know that many of you may stand around and say, well, you know, Eric, we don't like this. We don't like that. We don't. I got it. I got it. I got it. That's the same thing they did to David Dinkins. Oh, here he goes. Identifying with David Dinkins. So here we are in the place of my birth. People can say what they want. 
but you have a man from Brownsville. Never ran and never will. Never ran, never will. Brownsville, I spent more time in Brownsville on Osborne and Hegeman. I lived there 1974-75. I was married at that time to Corin Drayton. They had a little masseuse on the door because back then, well, before that, way back in the 20s and 30s, it was a predominantly Jewish area. In fact, it was the home up by Livonia and Juniors of Murder Incorporated. Lepke, Gura, you know, over 200 bodies buried there. The Italian mob would go to the Jews and contract them to do the hits. Back when I took Sid Rosenberg out there on the two and the three train and the L train, he was like, I said, you know, this is the this is the burial ground for your peeps, Murder Incorporated, when they were the toughest of the tough. And he was like all for toots. <sighs> you know, he's discovered his Jewish roots now. He's like King David. We're going to do this in 24 hours. This is your life, Sid Rosenberg. Although he won't be here, he'll be flying back on El Al and will be broadcasting on Monday. So, oh man, we're going to have really good fun. You see, it's entertaining. <laughs> He'll have no idea of how I was lampooning him. <sighs> the news of the day, though. Could I hear the breaking news sound one more time? I cannot believe this. We now have the photographic and video evidence. It's pouring in. Breaking news, WABC. Yes, uh, James Flippin will probably have to include this in his newscast. He'll be giving you the live updates in the 5 o'clock, excuse me, make that 6 o'clock hour. We are taking you to the break of dawn. Frank Morano was at the Club Zero Bond. How he afforded that, I'll never know. A club membership uh, at the lowest level is $10,000 a year. If you want you want the gold level, you want the platinum level, you're paying like 25 Gs and 50 Gs. Frank Morano was at the Club Zero Bond earlier on Friday night into Saturday morning. He was smoking Cohiba cigars with Mayor Eric Adams. Remember, that's his favorite haunt. The Club Zero Bond and Malcolm Smith, the former disgraced state senator who went to jail for political corruption. All three of them, like the Three Stooges. And they weren't doing puff, puff, pass, nothing illegal. They were smoking Cohiba cigars. Well, that, they look, technically that's illegal. But if I had to mention all the people I've seen smoking Cohiba cigars, uh, uh, they would be... Uh, they would fill up the ICE detention facilities in Elizabeth and on Vesey Street downtown for having illegal contraband from Cuba. How the hell did he get into the Club Zero Bond? The standards, I mean, that's like rock bottom. This guy's BQE. They don't even let him in the, the Pastels Club in Staten Island there for the 55-plus. Remember, Pastels used to be off 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, when it was a hot disco, competing with 2001 Odyssey, 86th Street, which is now a Chinese buffet underneath the Ellen Bensoners. So they transferred pastels out to Staten Island. I think it's Victory Boulevard. So the 55-plus crowd goes there. Oh, my God. What the hell has happened with Frank Morano? He's a mama Luke. Boy. There's a party in my mouth, and everyone is invited. Damn right. God only knows what he's doing there. That's right. 
Does Rachel know that he's at the Club Zero Bond? That's that's right. His wife probably has no idea. Look at these. Look at these pictures. Look at this video. Broadway Billy, James Flippin', look at this video. Oh, my God. Say so, it ain't. Curtis Lewa, uh before you go, was the mayor, do you know if the mayor was notified uh, at the time of your arrest? That, that, does Mayor Adams know you were in custody? Oh, he knew, but you know who dropped time and made the call and say you got to spring him so he can be on radio tomorrow? That's the Queensboro, uh, the Queens District Attorney. Because remember, if I don't work that many, Carter, I don't get paid. And if I don't get paid, I can't pay child support. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't work. I don't get paid. I don't get paid. I can't pay child support. It's that simple. You know, um, James Flippin's going to have to do the deep dive. How the hell did Frank Morano get into the Club Zero Bond with all those Trendoids, Freakasoids, Jet Setters? I mean, he's just a bumpkin from the south shore of Staten Island. I am a diner fanatic. I will take a diner over a gourmet five-star restaurant any day of the week. I am a diner guy. I love everything about the diners. I love the way they look, the way they smell. I love the fact that you can order pancakes or oatmeal or twin lobster tails, and it immediately comes out in, in 10 minutes. No matter what, I love the whole diner experience. So let's go over the Outer Bridge Crossing, the Bayonne Bridge, the Gothels Bridge, Jersey. They, they, that's the diner state. What the hell is he doing at the Club Zero Bond? Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? You know, normally the mayor has decided to cop a squad at Con Sofritos up in the Bronx off Westchester Avenue, the club of the nefarious Jimmy Rodriguez. But apparently he was at the Club Zero Bond earlier this evening. Probably my favorite is this apple pie my mom used to make. It's one of one of the favorite times of the year. It's so special. Yeah, it was. It was. What has this city come to when Frank Morano is led into an exclusive uh, late night club? God. This is not about uh, re-election. This is about protection. Protection? What? A Jimmy cap? A condom? Can I hear that again? Hold on a second. What the hell is he talking about there at the Club Zero Bond? Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. This is not about uh, re-election. This is about protection. Let me tell you something. When you say protection... In the old disco days of Club Pastel's Odyssey, right, 2001 Odyssey, uh, you would go into the men's room and Broadway Bill Lee, your, your partner at WCBS-FM in, in the, during the week, Joe Carsey, could tell you, they had the condom dispenser. You know, you put a quarter in, you get the rubber. Now, did you notice they put into the men's rooms the tampon dispensers? Very, look. I know you're shaking your head. I know James Flippin, uh, our news guy, is shaping his, uh, shaking his head in the newsroom. The best thing they ever did for me was put tampon dispensers in the ladies' rooms at the disco. Because every time a guy would look to punch me out for dancing with his old lady, 
Because, you know, a lot of these guys wouldn't dance. They just sit there. Hey, I don't dance. Uh, uh, I don't dance. Uh, the only ones who dance, you know, uh, they like Peter Pan. So you get upset because I'm dancing. How do I know it's his girlfriend? The guy is not dancing, but he's fornicating me and mad-dogging me. So I'm twirling the young lady. We're having a good old time. The young lady's having a good old time. We're not cheek to cheek. This is not a grind. Nothing like that. I would never do that because the Supreme Cushines will jump me right there on the dance floor. So he comes up, right, and he clocks me. He japs me from behind. I don't even see it. The next thing I know, I'm on the wooden dance floor, and, I mean, my nose is fractured and I'm bleeding out. So I know right away. Do I have a quarter in my pocket? I say, hey, Vinny, Vinny, I need a quarter. He goes, you're bleeding out. You're bleeding out. Let me give you this napkin. I said, no, 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 no. The napkin ain't going to do it. I go into the ladies' room. Some of the ladies, ah, ah, ah. I put the quarter in the tampon dispenser. I get the tampons, and you know what I did with it, uh, Broadway Billy? Shoved it up my nose. Both nostrils. It stops the bleeding. Do you know hockey players who are always getting their nose disjointed, fractured, broken, that in every uh, clubhouse of every hockey team in America, whether it is at the professional level, whether it is at the minor league level or the college level, have con- excuse me, have uh, tampons that the trainer has. Fighters, right? Fighters who get their nose busted. You know, you've seen what we discussed uh, the the death of uh, Carl Weathers, uh, who was Apollo Creed, Rocky Balboa. You know, the cut man is in the corner, Broadway Bill Lee. So you cut, you're bleeding. If you bleed too much out of your nose, the referee is going to stop the fight. Stop the fight. So what the trainer has to do, the cut man, is shove tampons up your nostrils. Now, it's going to be difficult to breathe, but it will stop the bleeding. Guaranteed. And I want all these folks to stop acting hysterically that there are now tampon dispensers in boys' bathrooms, you know, around the country. When the kid gets clocked and they fracture his nose or... They dislocate his nose or, God forbid, break his nose, and he's bleeding out. You shove those tampons up, and it stops the bleeding. Because if not, you're going to ruin all your clothes. Think about the fight. Think about the fight. Clubber Lang's in here. He's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you. Okay, here he comes. Jeff, he's jabbing. He's jabbing. He's trying to hurt you. you got to fight him. you got to move. I'm telling you. You know, I, they're getting all hysterical. Clemson University, right? They didn't have the Hamas nutniks. They didn't have the pro Hootie, Hootie and the Blowfish nutniks. You notice the lead guy from Hootie and the Blowfish got busted for possession of weed and LSD, right? Psilocybin, you notice that? It's like a year later. But I digress momentarily. So, it, no, 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 no. At Clemson University, they had a protest. The young Republicans on campus protested the fact that they put tampon dispensers in the men's bathrooms. You know how many fights they have at Clemson University, you know, with the frat nights when they're drinking too much and they're, you know, pretending like they're bare knuckle fighters and bam, right in the schnoz.
You jam those tampons up there. It stops the bleeding. Trust me, who is a street warrior here at WABC? It sure ain't James Flippin. It sure ain't my other colleagues. And it sure ain't that Mama Luke Frank Morano, who, believe it or not, as of 3 o'clock this morning, was at the Club Zero Bond smoking cohibas with Mayor Eric Adams and Malcolm Smith, the disgraziata, former majority leader of the Democratic-led state Senate, who then ended up to going to jail for political corruption. And Frank is hanging out there like he's got it like that. Oh, man, the powerful, how quickly the powerful club, fought. you know how clubs are, Broadway Billy, at, at one year, all of a sudden everybody wants to go there. Next year they see Frank Morano, the Mama Luke there, and nobody wants to hang out there anymore. You know what their membership will be? Free after this. Free. And it'll be BYOB. Bring your own booze. How could they do that? I hate the Club Zero Bond, you know, because it's all these uh, elitists. Uh, you know, it's a Club Zero Bond. You know, this is not like the BQE crowd. He's destroyed it. 1 800 848 It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Nobody goes to sleep till the break of dawn. The hell, Frank Morano at the Club Zero Bond. It's the end of nightlife, club life. I want to spit upon you. I doubly denounce you. It's over. It's over, Club Zero Bond, when you have the lights. Of Frank Morano coming into your very exclusive Chi Chi upscale. We're very discerning uh, club. Obviously, you're not. You let Frank Morano in. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Breaking news, please. I'm looking at this video. Give me more breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. Frank Morano is wearing corduroy pants. He pulled out his corduroy pants. Nobody wears corduroy pants anymore. God, can you imagine the guy downstairs... If you showed up with corduroy pants, even if you paid the the yearly fee of $10,000 for the exclusivity, you would never pass mustard. They look at you. No, you can't come into this club wearing corduroys. You should go suck an egg, as far as I'm concerned. Where the hell did he get a pair of corduroy pants? What, do you have it in mothballs at his mommy's house? Oh, God. God, corduroy pants and they let him in. Screw you. 
sipping his Velveeta cocktail and smoking his illegal Cohiba cigar. Again, I have the picture here. It'll probably be in page six in less than 24 hours. This is insane and outrageous. No, no. Sorry, Frank. You are going to be on page six with Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, and uh, with the disgraziata Malcolm Smith, former state senator, who went to jail for political corruption. Let's go to the phones. It's Jack in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. Good morning, Curtis. Two quick things. Who just got out of jail for shooting you? And now all of a sudden, Frank has got the uh, exclusive zero bond thing. So be careful with, uh, Ramon, you know, what's uh, Frank. Curtis should stay out of taxis. uh, Don't take any uh, invitations to a lunch in a remote diner. Curtis should stay out of taxis. he can't. Uh, he can't afford zero bonds. So somebody took care of that for him. Curtis should so stay just out of be taxis. Careful in that. You're right. And, uh, You're right, Jack. He, he would have to take a reverse mortgage, a payday loan, in yep. order to afford going to Club Zero Bond, even for one night. Yep. So somebody took care of him. So don't turn your back on Morano. Curtis should now, stay out of taxis. The other thing is, they never gave Adams. A communion wafer. They slipped them a neck a necko wafer. <laughs> <laughs> a nacho. Yeah, <laughs> one of those necko wafers. Oh, and because it's com- and because his complexion is his uh, protection, they probably slipped them the dark ones. Let me be the living example that God has put in front of us to understand. Just because you're dyslexic, arrested, rejected, you still can be elected and be the mayor of the city of New York. His new pal. And stay away, and stay away from his aunt's egg salad because you don't know what how he's going to do it. You're right. Don't go to lunch and don't eat anything he offers you. That's right. His aunt's egg salad that he's always offering to everyone. People have gotten tomaine poisoning from that. Salmonella, E. coli, uh, flesh-eating virus, uh, botulism, the whole nine yards. You notice Broadway Bill Lee, he doesn't keep keep that egg salad around any longer. HR here, Human Relations, demanded that Frank Morano not be bringing in his aunt's egg salad. I forgot to mention this yesterday. I have brought in the latest batch of my Aunt Camille's egg salad. So I have not sent out an email to the whole station yet, but I did give a preemptive text to our guys that work here and uh, Curtis Lewa, who I know is a, a big fan of this egg salad in spite of whatever he says on the radio. Yeah, flesh-eating virus, right? Ebola. God. I wanted to ask you, what happens if you play War Pigs by Ozzy Osbourne backwards? Because I tried it, and it kept saying that Frank Morano's egg salad is amazing. Is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. There's no doubt. Ozzy Osbourne's War Pigs, you play it backwards, you backscratch it, like backscratching Stairway to Heaven by uh, Led Zeppelin. 
you actually hear that Ozzy Osbourne is talking about Frank Morano's Aunt Camille's egg salad, tainted as it is from the moment it leaves the bowl. Frank Morano, that mamaluke, is constantly walking around with egg salad in his hand, you know, on a rich cracker. It's like, what the hell is it with this guy? I'm telling you, you want to kill the rats? Put out uh, his Aunt Camille's egg salad on a rich cracker, right? You don't even need a trap. Just put it out there. The rat will eat it and drop dead. It'll implode his insides. I thought that you were uh, protesting eggs because of the uh, the, prices. the prices. Yeah, it came down. It came down. And when when you know. My Camille's making the egg salad. She's buying the eggs. So even if I wasn't buying the eggs, she was, you know, she would still be paying for them. Oh, okay. So you, 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 that's funny. So you ask her to make you egg salad. Well, I don't and ask. Make she her, volunteers. And make, make her buy She it. volunteers. I mean, what else does she have to do? She's going to church every day. She's making egg salad. I think it's weird that in one year we've talked about eggs twice. Yes. All right. We're moving on. All right. You see, see what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen? Again, to to understand this is to understand the cycle of a hot club one year, and the next thing, the club is a dive. Frank Morano shows up. He had on flip-flops, flip-flops, right? He had on uh, beige khakis. He had on, uh, I mean, the worst shirt. You, I'm looking at this, the worst shirt imaginable, purple shirt. And he's smoking a Cohiba. That's all you need to know. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ronnie in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronnie. Hi, Curtis. Hi. It's I used to be Ronnie in Queens. Now I live in Philadelphia. I can tell you three things. I can tell you about the, the Ninja Turtles, uh, uh, Donatello, Michelangelo, uh, Leonardo, and I think Alfonso. And I can tell you about the catbird seat. Here in Pennsylvania, we have catbirds. They're up on the up on the wires, you know, the power wires, and they make the sound to the cat when he's down here. Like it sounds like when you're going to feed them, you know, when you're trying to open the cat food can, and uh, uh, they go that meow meow meow. Well, the bird makes that sound, and if the cat answers back. The bird comes down and attacks him. That's what a cat bird does. So now, again, what is the sound that the cat makes? Could you, could you please uh, repeat that for my edification? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, when you're opening the can of cat food and they're hungry, um, they go, meh, meh, meh. And you say, well, I'm opening the can. I'm opening the can. You know, just wait a second. Well, it's that meh, meh. They kind of make. A very close proximity. What it is is that the catbird is up there in the catbird seat, and he fools. I mean, it usually works once. Once it happens to the cat, they don't fall for it again. But he, and and that's exactly, and and so the catbird fools the cat, and and when the cat answers, it, it's just like at a job. Like when there's always that guy who's sitting around. Like looking for trouble and watches you and tries to get you to say something back that'll get you in trouble. That's what's sitting in the catbird. That's sitting in the catbird seat. 
Wow. I never knew that. It's a real, it's a real kind of bird. We have them out here. My, my, my boyfriend told me about them. He says, oh, there's a cat bird. He says, you he says our cats are onto them. They 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 know what they are. But he says meow, they they meow, they fool meow. cats. So you're in the catbird seat. You've explained that, uh, Ronnie. What about is the bee's knees? Oh, I don't know so much about the bee's knees. I don't. I don't even think bees have knees. Exactly. You know they, what they, I said. That little legs. Exactly. Huh? Now, what about sleep tight? Don't let the bed bugs bite. All right. Well. I, I hate to tell you this, but when I lived in uh, in in like the Jersey Shore, the, the the building had 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 bed bugs, and um, you, you, you to not get eaten by the bed bugs, you have to sleep in a a sleeping bag. We had to do this for a while till we got them out of there. Wow, you've had and, all, you've and, had and all... they get in there. They get in there, and the beagles. Yeah, the beagles go off to Atlantic City and everything, and and the buildings they have a, a lot of bed bugs in Atlantic City. So, um, yeah, you have to stay in there. You got to stay in. And if a bed bug, all of a sudden you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll be itching, and you'll open up the thing and you look all the way down the bottom corner, and there'll be a bed bug. He, he got in there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now, now you that realize one time. Yeah, it happened to me one time. I woke up and they they bite you so bad you wake up from the itching. So now you do realize that there's a bed bug infestation in New York City again. We are the top city with bed bugs in the country. And you're right, because Frank Morano's constantly going to the Borgata shooting craps. He's probably oh, he bringing He's the one who did it. Yep, he's probably bringing bed bugs back with him in his hair. He's got this weird kind of hair, like Brillo hair. That I've they, seen pictures of him, yeah. Yeah, they probably are infested in his hair. He's got this little white streak, which is, I, I've never seen anything. He might have brought like, the scabies. He might have brought the scabies, too. That's right, oh, which I got, which I got now. That probably came from I, Frank Morano. You know what gets rid of scabies? Eucerin. It smothers them. They get under your skin, and whatever you're taking, well, well, that'll just work alongside of it. Eucerin cream, E-U-C-R-I-N. I don't know if you've used that yet, but that smothers them. How about I just get rid of Frank Morano? No. He's a carrier. He's a carrier. <laughs> you're right, Ronnie. You were right. You said... They're in Atlantic City. He goes back and forth along with Hoboken Mary, you know, the number one oh, yeah. fan of Joe Piscopo. And everything that, that check the buildings, yeah. They, they, they have a, a very bad situation. Very, very with, uh... bad. You're absolutely right. Very bad. And um, yeah. I think he's got to be deloused. Every time he comes back to New York City, he must be deloused before he comes into the studios to broadcast here at WABC. Oh, I don't. Uh, maybe, maybe. But and 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 make sure he puts eucerin on. You you you'll see. Well, you know what they look like now. But put the eucerin on the, on your skate. I, I, I will. But now, help. last term, last term, hooker by crook. What does that mean? Sid said to me from Israel, but hooker by crook. What the hell does that I think, mean? 
I thought it had something to do with like the the fireman, you know, and the hooker by crook, you know, the hook and ladder. But uh, I'm not sure. Uh, My uncle was a New York City fireman. I don't know. Wow, that seems to make sense. Yeah. Okay. By hook or by crook, yeah. yeah. You My either get mind. it one way or the He's other. I still did a fellow. You know how they would crook the people's neck when they were on the stage too long in the old days, in the vaudeville days? Yeah, yeah. They would get the hook out and, and, and get them off the stage? I don't know what the crook is, but... Yeah, well, remember, at the Apollo Theater, they have the Sandman, so if the audience is turned against you and they're booing you, the Sandman comes out, he's got the hook, and he hooks you right off the stage at the Apollo Theater. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish we yeah. could do that in radio, because uh, when Frank Morano is on, I'd love to be able to give him the hook. <laughs> Well, luckily, you can just turn the dial, you know, if you're out here. (laughs) I will never, ever turn the dial. I would rather suffer in silence by having to listen to the Mama Luke. Right here on WABC, my place to be, because I will never listen to women's only radio. W-O-R. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. So now um, I was looking at uh, Thursday's New York Post. What? what you, really? You're going to do this? I want, I'm going over all our notes about our show notes. Doesn't anything about this, this subject. Yeah, Hold yeah, but you got to understand the pressure was put on me by Sid and Bernie. And they promised me a full-page head in the New York Post if I popped a question to you because you've been avoiding page six. Although you didn't avoid the front page of the New York Post, it was your former wife, Uma, on one side. Bradley Cooper on the other side, and you were peering over his shoulder. I, I mean, I, I love her dearly, and I want her to be happy, and I'm happy if she's happy, and, and her successes, or I feel, are just are, are so well-earned, and she's such an amazing woman that even enough good things can't happen to her. So now, we got that out of the way, Sid and Bernie. I know they were probably listening, along with all their sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys. Anthony stepped up to the plate, dealt with it. Wow, that's a blast from the past. Back when Bernard McGurk was alive and broadcasting here with Sid Rosenberg. There are a number of things that I'll be doing in uh, 24 hours. A number one, it is the eighth anniversary of uh, Sid Rosenberg coming up from Florida and joining Bernard McGurk. uh, And they did the mid-morning show. I miss in the morning, did not want him to do it. He wanted his uh, very dear friend, Mike Lupica, out in New Canaan, Connecticut, to do it. Mike Lupica, great sports writer. Boy, you talk about hitting a deadline. That guy not only can make the deadline, but he can also write a damn good column. But as a talk show host, he sucks. I mean, he did uh, sports radio, ESPN, just not ready for prime time. Uh, I just wanted him to do that mid-morning show when they got rid of uh, Geraldo Rivera. It's too much of a prima donna. So he exited stage left. They wanted to bring in uh, Mike Lupica. And instead, we fought. A number of us fought uh, for the unification of Bernard McGurk. That was his wish, that he would do a show with Sid Rosenberg. They had uh, imagined that for years. And uh, he persevered. They persevered. And you know the rest of the story. 
the uh, untimely death of Bernard McGurk because he did not get a PSA test. He did not get a simple prick of the finger, a blood test, and ended up with stage four prostate cancer, which unfortunately had metastasized to his liver. And then it ravaged his body. Boy, his final year, he suffered. He occasionally did the show from his home. But as was described to us by uh, his wife, he was laying down when he was doing it. He was in such pain. We miss him dearly. The best combination producer and talk show host in the history of this thing of ours. And we will never forget, forget the great work of Bernard McGirt, who came out of the projects in the South Bronx. Same projects that produced uh, actor Wesley Snipes. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I'm going to be Bob Barker. Now, I know Bob Barker never hosted This Is Your Life, but I'm going to be Bob Barker. Because Bob Barker, uh, The Price is Right, I mean, a great, great game show host. Uh, one of the few times that I will actually praise the Mama Luke Frank Morano. He did excellent interviews with Bob Barker, who spoke about growing up uh, at a reservation uh, out in uh, near Rosebud, where uh, South Dakota meets uh, Nebraska, uh, the heartland of America. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Unfortunately, Bob Barker is no longer with us. My uh, wife admires Bob Barker so much. He was one of the first animal rights activists. In fact, if you were wearing a fur coat, a real fur coat, he wouldn't even talk to you. He wouldn't even talk to you. And, I mean, the guy always looks so good. And he did not have tan out of a can. No way. And he was not an orange man. He was, I mean, he was GQ down. <sighs> Thinking of all these things. As my mind is moving fast and furiously, I just can't get over the fact that this Mama Luke Frank Morano was at the Club Zero Bond. That is the end of nightlife in New York City. That is the end of nightlife when Frank Morano was sitting there in this exclusive club with a Velveeta cocktail smoking an illegal Cohiba cigar from Cuba with the mayor of the city of New York, the nightlife mayor who likes to sample the product. He was smoking a Cohiba. And now, apparently, a guy who hangs out with the mayor a lot, these who disgrazia, the Shanda Malcolm Smith, the former state senator who ended up doing time for political corruption in the state of New York. They're like the three amigos. I'm looking at these these videos. I'm looking at these pictures. God, and he's wearing, Frank is wearing flip-flops. They let him in wearing flip-flops, and he's got a pair of corduroys on. Who the hell wears corduroys anymore? And then I got to square off with John Katsimatidis, who generally would have been in the pit with Anthony Weiner, screaming, Anthony, Anthony. Oh, yeah, this is what he does. This is what he does when he's battling. Anthony! So left versus right, which has become a fixture four to five after the two hours of Anthony Weiner going solo. For the last four Saturday programs, I've been bumped by our owner-operator. Yep, I've been bumped by our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, and the ratings have soared because they're like two scorpions in a brandy glass. They're really battling. Do you want to know what happened, Broadway Billy? Uh, John is down in Florida on business. So he says, you're in the bullpen. 
in just a few hours. I said, well, thank you. He said, but you weren't my first choice to replace me. I said, who was? Roger Stone of the Stone Nation. I said, what? Roger Stone? You wanted Roger Stone in there with Anthony Weiner? He said, yes. He goes, "Uh, Curtis, you can't touch my ratings, and Stone will give him a bigger challenge than you would. You have rolled over for Anthony Weiner. How do you like that? Now, I'm third on the chart. Here at WABC, battling in the gladiators pit with Anthony Weiner, four to five today. I'll be on today only because I'm like sloppy thirds. Can you believe that? He wants Roger Stone in there when John Katzmatidis can't battle Anthony Weiner. He wants Roger Stone. And then I'm like number three. And he's going to find probably somebody else to supersede even me there. Puts me on the shelf. Gosh. Bothers me to no end. And then when we come back 24 hours uh, later, I'm going to be talking about how John Katzmatidis has gone green. Yeah, Mr. Oil Man has gotten soft. He's gone green. He now walks around with a glass bottle filled with water. Water! Glass! And I'm holding up my Poland Springs 100% natural natural. Natural spring water from uh, outside of Krakow in Poland. It's not in Maine. They don't know they'll make it. I got my uh, 100-ounce bottle, the huge one. And John is telling me you can't drink from there because of the the plastics in there, the the particulate. I said, John, I've been drinking out of plastic bottles for years. It's probably flowing through my veins and arteries. He goes, no, you got to drink from glass. I said, have you gone green on me? The next thing John Katzmatidis is going to be driving is a electric car. How do you like that? I'm the one who believes in global warming, climate change, and now he's going green on me. You don't want to miss it in 24 hours. The battle of plastic versus glass.